Hello listeners, you are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball and maybe we can share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us wonderful ride the 2022 MLB offseason lockout. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 39. Alex and I are coming at you live December 9th, Thursday night. It's about 9.30 at night, Alex. And again, we are still in the lockout. Of course, yeah. Yep, nothing news. Uh, no, no, actually, no news happening uh, since our last episode. Uh, I guess kind of the big news would be, or at least the biggest news of the past couple of days is Yasiel Puig is going to the Korean League to play baseball. Uh, initial thoughts on that one, Alex? Just kind of uh, a all-star, almost MVP type player. Now, of course, moving his talents uh, to the Korean League. Yeah, it's a very interesting kind of career arc that Puig has had. Um, talking about strictly on the field stuff, it's what you know. There was a breakout year. Uh, Dodgers absolutely loved uh, him. Obviously, there was this energy he brought. Besides, you know the the numbers he brought as well. Um, but yeah, overall, obviously there was a, a bit of a decline, and he kind of traveled between a few different teams. I believe he was actually signed with the Braves, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was, yeah. But didn't play a game. Because I, think he, I, I think it was COVID reasons. Was it COVID and like maybe an injury too? And I, he's like, I'm just going to sit this with this year out, something like that. It, it was a really unfortunate break. And I remember it was kind of just like as an Angels fan with an outfield hole that we needed to fill. Right. It was definitely someone that I thought could easily fill that hole and be a bare at, minimum league, league average. Exactly. At least have a good, def, you know, be a good defender and have at least like a, you know, a league average bat and mm-hmm. uh, did not play anything, any games with the Braves and then kind of just went silent. I feel like for the past, you know, year and a half or so. And, you know, now he winds up, winds up playing in the Korean league as you know, a lot of good baseball players do Adam Jones, one guy who's now playing in the Japanese league. Uh, they go across to, of course, uh, play in either Korean or Japanese leagues to, you know, make some sort of money or at least continue their success. But, you know, wish the wealth, w- w- you know, wish success for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the, the Jones thing is interesting that you bring up. I know that he now speaks like really fluent Japanese. I think he also speaks Spanish. So it's kind of very, he can have like a really promising future as a clubhouse guy for an MLB team to help, uh, you know, help trainers communicate with, he would not only be a translator, but he has the baseball knowledge that so kind of combines into one job almost for him. It'd be kind of interesting, uh, you know, if he's looking to do that in the future. But he would definitely, in my eyes, be a great like manager, probably like in the next 10, you know, like in the sure. next 10 years, as we see this this decade go on and go on. I could see him possibly getting a managerial role because of that Spanish, English, Japanese. Those are the three main languages of baseball, I feel like. So uh would be a great hire to see if he could somehow sneak his way into some uh franchises you know clubhouse and be a manager for uh you know one certain team but 
Uh, Alex, today, of course, episode is pretty much all about the American League Central. Uh, last episode, we covered the American League West, went through all five teams, went through all all their, their whole franchise team, of course, going in-depthly on who would be on their starting nine, and of course, with the DH spot with the five starting pitchers, and also the ninth inning closer. And of course, today, we're going to go into the American League Central and take a dive into that one. Alex, one thing I'll point out with this when doing all the research on these uh, teams is that every team has been around for almost 121 years. A lot of history and a few in most of these teams. Yeah, exactly. So the American League West, of course, a lot of teams have moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, if that was the case. But with the Central, a lot of these teams have been around for a very long time. Uh, pretty much have gone through all the different eras of baseball, dead ball era, all the way up to, of course, Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox, all these great sluggers, Lou Gehrig, who came into the game and really kind of just changed the game. And then all the way up, of course, through through most of all baseball history, if not all history. So uh, it'll be a fun episode, of course, today to dive into all the greats who have played for these teams, Alex. Um, so I guess if you want to right now, we can kick it off uh, right now with the, with the teams. First on my list, Alex, I have the Minnesota Twins that we can start with first. Uh, and so Sounds good. Minnesota Twins, little brief history, been around for 121 years, dating back to 1901. And from 1901 to 1960, they were the Washington Senators. And then in 1961 became the Minnesota Twins and, of course, have been that team ever since. Very similar to uh, the uh, it rings a bell, the Angels, because the Angels came around in 1961. I think there must have been some sort of expansion yeah. in 61 where Tons of teams got new, fr- you know, new franchises yeah. and teams moved all over the map of the United States. Sixty one was a, was a, a first year for a lot of teams. Yeah, definitely. Okay, okay. So that is going to be the Twins' first spot, Alex. And of course, starting off with the catcher, then we'll of course go to the right side of the infield first, second, left side third, and short. And then of course go through the three outfielders, the DH, the five starting pitchers, and then of course the ninth inning closer. But I'll start off, of course, with the catcher, Alex, and I'll let you begin this one. I know I started last time, but I'll let you start with the Twins' all-time catcher. Okay, Travis, all-time catcher for the Minnesota Twins. For me, not very difficult. I'm going to go ahead and, and just lock in Joe Maurer. Um, he, this, you know, there's an argument to say he, you know, played lots of first base as well, but I think for the purposes of this, prime Joe Maurer's a catcher, and every day of the week, he's my catcher for this team. What, what about you? Very easy pick. 15 years, career, all-time Minnesota twin. Um, just for what the numbers he was able to do as a catcher, they are on a Hall of Fame track. They are yeah. insanely impressive. A 306 batting average all-time, a 388 on base, uh, you know, 827 OPS with a 124 OPS plus throughout his career. Uh, he had a really good mix of like the contact hitting was obviously there because his batting titles. He walked, he walked a good amount because the on-base percentage and the slugging's not bad either. So he really could kind of hit in like three different levels for a catcher, which is something you really do not see that often. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, um, didn't play, of course, his whole year at catcher, you know, his whole career at catcher went to first base for a little bit. I know yeah. he, had, he had some injuries, but those 2008, 9, 10 seasons at catcher were primetime Joe Maurer won the MVP, of course. So uh, how could you not give it to him when a catcher wins the MVP and is that good? And it's, it's just a big a, deal. It wins the batting title. You have to look at him and say, you know what? I'm going with him. He's the number one guy. And with everyone else in the Twins organization, uh, I feel like no one really even comes close to that. So he, of course, is the starting catcher for the Minnesota Twins. Alex, let's start with you. Right side of the infield, first base, second base. Who do you got for the Minnesota Twins? 
Okay, so first and second. Uh, first base is kind of interesting. Uh, we kind of keep doing this dance. Uh, some guys played like a lot of first and third base, and some guys played like first and DH. So you can kind of have some creativity here. But for first base, I went ahead and went uh, Kent Herbeck. Um, he played lots of DH as well, but he played first base, so he's my first baseman. And second base, I have the legendary Rod Carew, who is obviously he doesn't argument to say he's the, he's the franchise player for the Twins. Um, you know, one of the best players in their history for sure. At least when you think of Minnesota Twins, you got to think a little bit at least of Rod Carew. You know, obviously he had some career with the Angels, but there's no denying uh, his prime, all his batting titles and his great, you know, I think I think he's up there like top two or three most batting titles won by an American League player. Um, and most of that's from the Twins era. So um, 100% he has to be the second baseman. Definitely, we're spot on again. First base, Kent Herbeck, okay, 14 good. years, all-time twin, uh, and actually retired. Uh, hit, twins have him as a retired number uh, mm -hmm. for the you know organization. So, Kent Herbeck, first base, and also second base, Rod Carew. Um, you know, how could you not go Rod Carew? He's probably one of the best second basemen of all time. 3,000 hits, 2,000 of those with the Twins. Had, of course, his best seasons with the Minnesota Twins. 334 batting average. Uh, 841 OPS as a second baseman with a 137 OPS plus. Uh, can't really say too much about that. I mean, he was a stud. Uh, I know everyone always would say Rod Crew was a big uh, hitter when it came to hitting it in the, they call it the five and a half hole between uh -huh. shortstop and third base. Uh, people kind of made up that rule just because of him hitting it all the time in between that. A nice little just sneaky contact guy, just poke it through that hole. Uh, easily you know one of the greats of the you know baseball and of course minnesota twins best second baseman so i'm glad we both pointed out him and of course kent herbeck being there for so many great years with the twins i think he was there during both world series championships if i'm not mistaken yes he was 87 and 80 i'm sorry 91 and 87 he was there uh and got second place in mvp in 84 so again very instrumental part in all those championships for the twins but Alex, now we'll move to the left side of the infield, and that'll be the shortstop in the third base spot. Um, I'll start first, and I'll let and see what you got next. For me, Alex, for shortstop, I went with Joe Cronin. Joe Cronin was a shortstop for the Washington Senators back in the day. Only played seven seasons, Alex. But with those seven, seven seasons, I thought he was you know almost like pure dominance. Had a sixty about a sixty-five career WAR. But with those shortstop years in the Washington Senators organization from 1928 to 1934, he was pretty dominant. Finished second in MVP his last year. I'm sorry, second to last year with the with the uh, Washington Senators. But I mean, how could you not love these numbers? 304 batting average, you know, uh, 387 on base and 842 OPS and eight, a 118 OPS plus as a shortstop pretty rare when you look at kind of the all-around shortstops in the twins organization so he was my shortstop and then third base alex i went ahead and went with the big almost mr twin Harmon killabrew uh 21 years with the twins i think he played 22 years almost had a full career with the twins but if you look at all the twins top 10 career batting you know tight you know different stats for batting you just see Harmon Kilbrew on every single stat. He basically holds almost every single record, I feel like, for the Minnesota Twins. He, of course, is an easy slam dunk for this list, and he makes my third base spot. Played a lot of first base, third base. Also could have slid him in at DH, but I looked up, and he put a majority of his spots at third base, so that's where I'll have him on my team. Joe Cronin, shortstop. Harmon Kilbrew, short, or third base. Who do you got for yours? 
Yeah, Travis, I guess there's great minds to think alike. So I also have Joe Cronin and Har- yeah. Harmon Kilbrew. Um, I like what you said about Joe Cronin. Uh, a player that you know many people probably do not know because we're talking about a player from the 20s and 30s who played on the Washington Senators, a team that people might not even have heard of because they're no longer, obviously, no one has that name uh, right now. But yeah, Travis, he's got a lot of great seasons under his belt as a senator, even though he also was a Boston Red Sox and, and a pretty legendary Boston Red Sox at that. Um, still, like you said, the seven years he had in Washington were awesome. He's a second place MVP finish. He has multiple seasons with over a 130 OPS plus. That's as a shortstop, which is you know super impressive. Um, and yeah, uh, he's a Hall of Famer, seven time All Star, uh, All Star multiple times as a Senator. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's probably about like when they started doing the all-star game. So maybe he would have had more if they started it a little earlier, but definitely, but yeah, um, he, for me was a pretty, pretty much, a uh, I would say a shoe in after looking at his numbers and then Harvin Killebrew, Travis, you're right. He is the premier slugger of the twins organization for sure. He, uh, you know, he has one, two, three, four, five, six times. He led, uh, the American league in homers, which is obviously huge has an MVP award, got top 10 MVP votes like one, two, three, four, five, six times. Like he just was a premier player in his prime and his prime was pretty much, you know, several years here, like looking like age 23 all the way until age like 35, 36, he was still making all-star teams and getting MVP votes. So uh, a total slam dunk, I agree. Uh, and I, like- I, I really wonder where Harmon ranks when you look at one player with one team and the total amount of home runs. He's um, definitely high on the list for you, sure. You, you know, Bonds, I think he had probably over 200 home runs with the Pirates and then, you right. know, 500 or something home runs with the Giants or something like that. But it'd be really interesting to look at one player with one team and how many home runs. I mean, you're looking at it right here, 573 career homers. He only had 14 homers with the Kansas City Royals in 75. So now you're already looking at, you know, almost 550 homers with one team. Uh, with one team. Yeah. And so... Uh, or, you know, almost uh, 560 uh, homers with one team. So it'd be interesting to look at that and, you know, really compare with other teams. You know, he was an all-time franchise guy. So Yeah, I think besides, like, besides, like, Mays and, like, some and maybe some of those Yankees who, like, right. were just career Yankees, besides some of those guys, like, it's probably Harmon is towards the very top of that list. Probably a top 10 ever, I'm sure. Definitely, definitely, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those picks were both kind of locks. We're still on the same page, Travis, but... Let's do the outfield. Outfield, okay. And I'll go first with this one. Um, so my three outfielders for the Twins organization, I had Tony Oliva, who just became a Hall of Famer a couple days ago in the last pod that we recorded. Uh, 15 years as a twin, 15 years in the career of baseball. So he was an all-time twin when he never left any other team. Uh, only played for the Minnesota Twins from 62 to 76. Next guy up, I have Kirby Puckett. Again, 12-year career. And 12 years with the Twins, had a shortened career, kind of a freak accident that I think happened in spring training that kind of stunned him from going a little bit further as an MLB player. Probably would have played, honestly, into the early 2000s, but he stopped in 95 at the age of 35. But he is my second outfielder. Third outfielder, Alex, I have Sam Rice. Sam Rice, a Hall of Famer, played almost the same kind of years as Harmon Killebrew. 21 years in the, I'm sorry, 20 years in Major League Baseball. 19 of those years were with the Washington Senators from 1915 to 1933. This guy, of course, batted 323 with the Senators during that time. An insane batting average, of course. Almost had 3,000 hits with the Senators. So that's why, of course, I have those three. Puckett, Oliva, Sam Rice. Who do you got, Alex? 
So yeah, my three outfielders, uh, starting off Kirby Puckett as well, has yep. to be here. Just absolutely has to be here, not only for his contributions in the postseason to help him win uh win you know championships, but also just a career twin, um, elite contact hitter, all time great contact hitter. Uh, Tony Leva as well, like you said, recent Hall of Famer. Uh, lots to like about his stat sheet. Um, looking at some of his accomplishments, lots of top 10 MVP votes, a rookie of the year to his name, batting titles, uh, led the league in doubles four times, just like lots of good stuff to like about him, and a career twin as well. My third outfielder is the first time we're going to differ here, Travis, on okay. the whole list. My third outfielder is going to be Tory Hunter. Very nice. So Tory Hunter is someone who we're both very familiar with because he, of course, was an angel. And uh, I guess we know him well as an angel for his slugging ability and you know, was a great defender as well. But a lot of his major contributions as a twin came defensively. Um, so obviously, you know, there's great stuff to be said about Rice, your pick. I just really ended up going with Hunter because as a twin, he had a 4.7 war season, then a 3.5 a 3.8, a 4.2, a 3.1, 3.3, 3.9. So he just kind of like not, no like MVP level season, but consistently was a almost all star. Like I think when you're around a four war, you're like an all star probably. And so when you're just consistently kind of at that level, it just kind of tells me like his glove was doing so much work to help his overall value really kind of go up. Um, and there's also some iconic stats with him, you know, robbing home runs, has a signature kind of look. He's someone who's on the Hall of Fame ballot right now. Um, Will he get in? Probably not, but I think there's still a lot to like about Hunter um, as a as a player. Uh, overall, I kind of went with his glove and left Rice off my team. So go ahead and give me your case for Rice, Travis. Yeah, with Rice, you know, uh, you know about a 55 WAR, uh, you know, 3,000 hits, which is I think almost a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. Just basically a great contact guy. Only had 34 homers in his career. I'm pretty sure Torrey Hunter had that in one season. So Torrey Hunter, of course, has the slugging and the home runs probably beat very very well uh but you know just kind of you know just that almost that ty cobb kind of light guy back in the 19 you know 10s to the 1920s uh you know spending his whole entire for you know practically almost all of his career with one team and he's and he played 20 years 19 years with the senators had to of course get him on there just of course with the batting average all being better the on base being better so i thought of course that was definitely one main mark and then of course also being a hall of famer right now with you know pretty decent war for an all-timer for right field but uh you know tory hunter was a guy that i stopped and thought you know this is definitely an all-time twin he played of course with the angels and a little bit with the tigers but he is a twin most definitely if he got into the hall of fame he would be a twin um like like you said i don't know if i don't think he's going to be a hall of famer i mean really he was basically his glove did the talking when mm -hmm. he played he had a great bat for a center fielder but his glove was the main part of his game um just thought rice with a 19 year career it's the most pretty much on this senators twins roster in the whole entire team you know spending that much or, i'm sorry besides killabrew rice is the second guy in the lineup uh, with that career with that one organization so I thought you know look at that and also almost having 3,000 hits with one organization I thought that was pretty incredible so that's why I went Rice but of course Torrey Hunter was right there in my head thinking okay who should I get off this list to get Torrey Hunter in because he is right. an all-time great of course for the twins um, but I just felt like Oliva Puckett and Oliva of course with recent news he needs to be on the list of course and then with Puckett 
and also Rice, I thought, okay, you know what? These are my three guys. Torrey Hunter, I wish there was a bench spot because he'd be on there no, right it, there for the Twins. It, it's a very fair three-man outfield that you pick for sure. I just think Hunter, um, we'll get to him because he's on the Hall of Fame ballot. We'll talk Hall, yep. Hall of Fame stuff uh, when that season comes around in, in probably January. But uh, I'm just looking at his page. 110 career OPS plus, which is you know very good for a center fielder, I'd say. Yep. Uh, from from looking, it's looking like to his age 28 season all the way to his age 38 season, he had an above average OPS plus. So he's an above average hitter every single year. Some years peaking up at like 128, 123. I see here 129. So some very good highs as well. And 50.7 career base reference WAR. That's a lot. And it really is. It really shows why he's on the Hall of Fame ballot, but. He should probably get more consideration than I think he's gonna get. I think he's almost. Um, I'm not. I don't think he's. You know, I'm not gonna say he's on the the, the the Jim Edmonds level of player, but I think he's like it's it's a comparable case where I think he might end up uh, missing out on some votes more so than he should. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that for another another podcast. But I just think he gets slept on a little bit in terms of the all time conversation, just because you look at his batting average and his power also wasn't that amazing early in his career. So, um, anyways, Travis, we can go on to DH now. Um, should I start or, should, or do you want to go for it? You go ahead, yeah. All right, so for my DH pick, um, this is a, someone who was a true a true outfielder, but I just knew I had to get them on this team, and I felt like based on having Hunter's defense in the outfield, I was okay to kind of move an outfielder onto my DH spot. So my DH is going to be Goose Goslin, Travis. Very nice. Um, I think his offense was just way, way, way too good to leave off this list. Uh, for those that don't know, he was a Washington senator from 1921 until 1930. I believe he got traded. Uh, and his numbers in that span are really elite. Three times he received a top 10 in MVP voting, has a batting title up at th- a 379 batting average in 1928 for the senators. Um, Overall, Travis, I'm just loving the numbers. He had an 18 triple season, that 20s triple season. So he has obviously the speed and the extra base kind of power thing going for him. Uh, and then, yeah, I think overall his 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 overall stats as a senator, 12 seasons, has a 323 average, a 386 on base, an 802 slugging. Uh, that's good for a 131 OPS plus. I just love the bat. Um, some seasons he here I see here a 153 OPS plus in 26. And in 1928, it's a 176 OPS plus. Travis, that is like a, an MVP level, like Mike Trout level. Like 176 is like an average you see on like a Mike Trout best reference page. So his peak performance is MVP caliber. Of course, he is a Hall of Famer um, and has two World Series rings too. So that's just even extra icing on the cake. Um, Travis, tell me about your DH. Yeah, so my DH, of course, is going to be someone who played uh, during our time of watching baseball. Okay. So uh, more of recent years, I went with Justin Morneau. Yeah. So Morneau, of course, great first baseman power hitter for the Twins, uh, 2003 all the way up to about 2013. So spent 10 to 11 years with the Minnesota Twins organization, won an MVP in 2006, also came in second in 2008. So had a nice 2006 to eight prime winning, of course, two silver sluggers, tons of all-star uh, appearances as well. Uh, OPS plus always floating around the 140 to 135 range. So of course was very a, a very dominant hitter, a great power hitter for those twins teams. I had to go with him just because of the MVP. Um, I think also that, I mean, just, I, I feel like of course this might be a little favoritism with me, you know, with, with, 
people my age who have watched, you know, baseball, they're going to think, okay, guys who play in this era definitely were just like crazy baseball players. But I just like the way, of course, he played. Him and Maurer were such a great, you know, just just a delight to watch because it was the Eminem boys. Uh, both those guys either batting, you know, back to back or maybe some Arati was splitting them up in between. Um, like a guy like Michael Goddard or Torrey Hunter. But I want more know just, of course, with the MVP pick, you know, having a very, very nice prime and, of course, very nice hitting numbers. Uh, you know, some years, of course, even batting 345. Uh, he just had some very insane kind of years that were, um, thank God they were recognized. He got an MVP vote. But yeah, I, I, I like the way he played. I like the Goose Goslin pick too, because he was definitely, of course, someone you always look at when you make these kind of lists um, for the outfield. But Morneau had to be my guy. I feel like he was definitely a big center stone on those uh, Minnesota Twins teams of the early 2000s that I feel like seemed always were making the divisions or making a push for a AL pennant title. So uh, Morneau is my guy, but uh, Goslin honestly was was a good pick. I, I mean, the OPS numbers are very impressive with those Senators teams. Yeah, I I, I do like the Morneau pick as well. It, it makes lots of sense. He's someone we kind of, I think we, we, we talked about this before, Travis, like people our age really romanticize that like mid to late, 2000s like base those baseball players those those were the guys that were in the video games when we were growing up 2007 man that, that, that yeah, was a year that was the that was the peak <laughs> i think yeah in my mind it's always like that 07 to like probably up to like 2009 to 2010 where just like this was the prime like you know all my favorite sports teams were doing well all yep. the video games were great yep, yep. homework mm-hmm. was easy blah 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 but it was <laughs> yeah. a great time to be alive travis but yeah well, one thing i'll add on the, on the goslin pick that i forgot i, I kind of left it out there was a great five-year stretch he had as a senator um looking like so yeah starting in 1924 he had a 6.5 war next year a 6.5 war next year 6.9 then a 5.3 and then a 7.5 that stretch is honestly kind of like a monster stretch it really that's probably that's the kind of stretch that gets you into the hall of fame which which he is a hall of famer but that's that's 32.7 war in just six or just uh what was it five seasons so 6.5 war a year for a, for a five-year stretch that's like you're like a borderline mvp conversation for yeah five straight years so um i just really liked uh goslin a lot but uh, i think more no he would bring tons to the table being on your team for sure I, I i agree with that so we can move on to pitching staff now travis yeah yeah so i'll start first with the pitching staff go through my five then you go through your five and we'll discuss but um starting off on the pitching staff alex walter johnson's got to be uh you know pretty much your number one if not you got something seriously wrong with you so walter johnson of course washington senator's great uh i think it was honestly 20 21 years 417 wins a 2.17 career era uh almost a 165 war which of course i think ranks like top five of all time when you look at um position and uh pitchers when you look at all-time baseball player war so walter johnson's number one number two for me is burt bly 11 uh another twin great on about a 95 career war uh third on my list is johan santana fourth is jim cott and fifth i went with is jim perry um so i'm interested to see who you got for your list yeah, a lot of differences, which is you know always makes for fun conversation. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like you said, number one has to start off with Walter Johnson, um, one of if not the best pitcher ever. Uh, came from a completely different era, of course. So it's you know sometimes comparing him to modern players is like comparing apples and oranges. But the milestones he accrued, the career war, it's just on a level that shows that he was 
beyond elite. So he has to be number one uh, without question. And then my second spot, I got Johan Santana. This is overall no order, but I like Johan Santana in the second spot. Um, I overall his his prime Travis is one of the best. Uh, I think he's honestly in my mind a really good comparison to like Jacob Degrom because Degrom had such like a late start to his dominance that uh, it, it in my mind it's just like Jacob Degrom is gonna pull together a Hall of Fame career even though he got really started in like his like thir- when he's like thirty almost you, yeah you get what I'm saying whereas Johan Santana had like a nine or ten year career I think it was ten or eleven years actually yeah but finished he, at thirty three like, yep. I think he was one and done in the Hall of Fame ballot or something like that and just like how like his yeah, sometimes I know people like voters like to care about the the wins and all that kind of stuff but like counting stats aside I think his peak was just too dominant the ERAs in his in his just in his peak Cy Young years are just uh, you, you can't even ignore it it's just it's just too incredible so Johan is my yeah, he has 51 war in a 12 year career that's that's a lot in not that much time so anyways he's my second pick third pick I have Burt by 11 uh, has to be in the team just a, a twin, just kind of legend, and then my four, my four, my fourth and fifth picks are Frank Viola and Brad Radke. So I like the Viola, yeah, Viola, yeah. Some some, some outside of the box kind of picks. So Travis, go ahead and talk to me about your four or five, and I'll talk to you about my four or five because we have different guys here. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, I think you say it's Jim. People say Jim Cat, but Jim Cott as well. Okay, um, I'll Jim, trust you, <laughs> Jim Cott, and so. Uh, you know, of course, a guy who, of course, was, again, just voted in a couple days ago into the Hall of Fame. Uh, for me, I just like the durability, you know, about a 50 war, you know, again, 15 years with the Minnesota Twins, 190 wins, a 3.34 ERA. Uh, ERA plus, of course, not insanely impressive, a 110 ERA plus, but of course, with the durability, 15 years with them. Um, I'm a big guy who likes durability. So I think, of course, that says a lot over 3000 innings pitched. That's the reason why, of course, I went with Jim Cott just for the 15 years. Um, you know, most some guys don't even pitch 15 years and he spent that all with the twins. Yeah. So it's 25, 25 year career for Jim Cott, 15 of those years, of course, with the twins. So had to, of course, think about and put him on the list. Definitely like that pick. And then Jim Perry, another guy, he only pitched 10 seasons with the Minnesota Twins. But with those seasons, 128 wins, a 3.13 ERA, almost having a sub three ERA in those 10 seasons with the Twins. Uh, really like that, of course, again. ERA plus, not, of course, the prettiest. It's not going to be something where it's going to be like 140, 150, only a 113 ERA plus. But again, another workhorse, almost 2,000 innings pitched with the Minnesota Twins. Both guys pitching kind of in somewhat the same time uh, as they, you know, they both, both their careers almost interlapped. So I really like that. Had a Cy Young uh, win, of course, in 1970, 24 wins, a 3.04 ERA. uh, And that, of course, got into Cy Young the year before he finished third. So almost a, a, a very nice prime, of course, finishing out his Twins career um in, in his in his mid 30s but those reasons for my guys um i i know of course walter blylev and santana for me and you are very easy mm-hmm. um and then the last two of course are definitely a good uh, discussion yeah. but viola of course i really like because i think he had a very nice it was a short stint with the mayor with with the uh with the twins i looked over but very good prime with mm-hmm. a twin so it was definitely a guy i was looking at where is it Jim Perry? Is it Viola? Who should I go with? You know, kind of doing that analysis. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have Viola's page up in front of me and yeah, eight years with the twins, uh, a Cy Young award and two other Cy Young six place finishes uh, f- from, from, it looks like 
1984 up till he left the Twins in like 89, he was just pushing 250 innings pitched every single year. Just boom, like 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 clockwork. Like he was just a total workhorse. Uh, and yeah, I think some of his peak ERA plus numbers are really impressive. He had back to back years here in in 87 and 88 where he had a uh, a 159 ERA plus and a 154 ERA plus. So just back to back years of being like borderline Cy Young. One year did win it. Um, so I think Overage loved his peak. The longevity is not there compared to a guy like Cot, of course. But yeah, overall, I just had to have him on my list for that kind of really strong peak. Brad Radke, Travis, is my other pick, and he's someone who I just did not think would be near my list. Just what I what I know about him, what what I kind of remember him, because I think we kind of knew about him. We we started watching baseball, you know, in the two thousands, and you know that was towards the end of his career, but. He had some really strong seasons in the late 90s and I guess very early 2000s that we might have missed on. And, and overall, I just love the the career ERA plus is 113 and every single season was with the Twins. Uh, I, I'm just a, a couple of really great seasons from him. There's a 1997 120 ERA plus third place in Cy Young voting, um, led the league in games started. So he was just definitely, a, you know, a bit of a workhorse. And then also in... And also in 1999, uh, a 135-year plus, just a great year for him. Uh, the ERAs, Travis, don't look that pretty, like a 375-ERA, a 387-ERA. But remember, this is like peak steroid era. This is late 90s we're talking about. Um, there's, you know, e I think ERA plus is the move when analyzing these kind of players because it shows how good they were compared to the average pitcher of their time instead of just looking at the ERA and saying, oh, four ERA, well... I think a four ERA was like well above average considering the time. I think the average ERA that's in like those late nineties, early two thousands was like was like a five ERA was like considered average just because of the steroids. So, long story short, um, th these were my fourth and fifth picks. I just like their peaks and some of the good seasons they had. So, uh, we can move on to closer now, Travis. And I have a feeling that we're going to be probably on the same page here. I'll just go ahead and say my closing pitcher I selected was Joe Nathan. There's just a lot to like about Joe Nathan, and uh, he is also someone, Travis, who, like I keep mentioning, is going to be on the Hall of Fame ballot when we talk about that in January. Um, he will have an interesting case that I'm sure we'll have fun discussing, but for the purposes of this, Travis, he was just too dominant at his prime and also was a twin you know, for a good seven years with a 204 ERA+. Plus. That says it all right there. That's too good, so... Tell me about who I assume you pick was Joe Nathan. Retweet. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Nathan, easiest pick on, I feel like, this list, of course, uh, dominance. Um, he was right up there with K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, uh, and Mariano Rivera uh, for the top three closers, I feel like, in baseball uh, during the, you know, 2005 to 2010, I feel like, time frame. Uh, just pure dominance from that Twins. I feel like he was definitely a guy where in the ninth inning, the game was over when he came in to pitch. So, uh, the the ERAs are insane. really the ERAs are really crazy, Travis. When he he becomes a twin in two thousand four, immediately one point six two ERA. This is on seventy three games pitched. All these are going to be over sixty five games pitched. One point six two ERA next season. Two point seven ERA. Then one point five eight ERA. Then a one point eight eight ERA. Then a one point three three. And then a two point one. It's like consistently insane. Yeah. consistently in the ones or at the highest like you know low twos for that's a that's like a six year straight span just being you know super dominant and uh yeah he was he was the easy lock he has 
two times finished top five in Cy Young for a reliever is really impressive. It shows the how good his peak was in a good seven years. So yeah, and what you pointed out, I think the two the the two oh four ERA plus. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean that's say just, no more that that that's right there above some of the the most elite of the pitchers of all time. So. Uh, you know, he's got to be one guy. And of course, talking about, you know, Hall of Fame consideration, I hope to I hope, you know, voters will give him a very good consideration because, you know, giving I think Martin Rivera unanimous vote, you have to give him some sort of a, a look because he was, you know, Mariano esque of, you know, five seasons. And so you, you got to look at that as being a very good, you know, milestone and accomplishment for him. But um, Alex, that kind of speak, you know, that kind of says everything for the uh, the Minnesota Twins organization, a very deep organization going back from the Senators and then to the Twins in the '60s. So we'll move now to the next organization that we have, and I have the all-time uh, Cleveland Indians organization. So cool. again, another long history of Cleveland baseball. So this, of course, again, 121 years. A lot of these teams starting up in 1901, or at least that's when stats really started to be counted in 1901. That's where me and Alex kind of wanted to stay within. We don't want to go back into like 1880-something and just get some get some dude that had, you know, an on-base streak of 80 games or something like that. Right. We're just kind of like, okay, this is, how was baseball really even played before the 1901? I feel like 1901 was, again, the big, uh, you know, that was the start of it all. So that was like the big bang of baseball. But uh, Indians, of course, started off in 1901 as the Cleveland Blues. And then in 1902, they changed their name to the Cleveland Bronchos. And then I like that. Bronchos. In, in 1903 to 1914, they changed their name to the Cleveland Naps. And then from 1915 to last year, the Cleveland Indians. But of course, now they'll be called the Cleveland Guardians. So again, another name in the history. I think it might be the, the the one organization that we go over that literally has changed their name so much. Quite possibly, yeah. Exactly. So uh, we'll, of course, start and, I, I you know, go over the entire history of the Cleveland, uh, you know, Cleveland baseball and, and, and see what we really come up with. But it's a very deep franchise, I would say, Alex, from looking at all the, all the history. But uh, I'll start, Alex, with the catching position. So at first I had a guy, you know, for honestly, the, the most part of this list, I had Sandy Alomar on my list, but I did some, you know, deeper diving into the research and I actually finished up with going with Victor Martinez, someone who, of course, we watched play many, many years, started out his career with the Cleveland Indians uh, and started out as a catcher and was a very good catcher, a v- almost a very, a, a very dangerous catcher, I would say. Uh, eight years with the Indians organization, batted 297 with a 370 on base and an 832 OPS. Had an OPS plus of 120 uh, and 103 home runs. So just a very good offensive catcher. And of course, all those seasons he was catching, he was catching great starting pitching. Bartolo Colon, CeCe Sabathia, Cliff Lee. Uh, I, I definitely believe he was a very good influential part you know, with the catching side, with helping those pitchers really, you know, get better throughout their careers. But, you know, just going down the line of, you know, some of these numbers are very, very impressive, better OPS plus years than, you know, Joe Maurer ever had. So uh, very, very impressed what I had to see from him. Alex, who do you have for your catching position for the Indians? Charles, we completely agree. The Sandy Alomar pick uh, or the Sandy Alomar thought is also a thought that I had. And he wasn't a part of some really good teams. But looking at the numbers, it has to be Victor Martinez. We completely agree. Um, don't have much to add, honestly. It, it's it, 
after like, comparing the numbers, like the choice became pretty clear. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. It, it was funny how literally like I think it was even yesterday that I started to look at it and I was like, wow, there's actually, you know, Victor Martinez is a guy that I totally forgot about. And looking at his stats, it was like it's very it's very clear that he should be the catcher for the Indians all time team. So he will be that nod. Alex for first uh, and second base, the right side of the infield. Again, I, you know, I felt like a lot of a lot of good research, but, you know, pretty easy picks. First base, I have Jim Tomey, the Hall of Famer, over 600 home runs, one of the best sluggers of all time. And then for second base, I have Nap Lajoli, one of the greatest, you know, baseball players of kind of the early years, starting out with the Indians in 1903. Actually started his career in 1896 uh, in Philadelphia. But then, of course, uh, moved to Cleveland in 1902 and 1903 was his first full season and played 13 years with the Cleveland team. And that's actually when they changed their name. It's really funny. They changed their name to the Cleveland Naps and his name's Nap Lajoli. And they changed the name because of him. So they literally named the team after him, which is just I mean, I, I can't imagine the Anaheim Trouts or the, you know, the Anaheim right. Otanis or something like that. So or the, it, it's, it's just insane to see a team name their you know, franchise name after that one player. But you can go down the line, Alex, from this guy. I mean, batting average batted, you know, easy 340 batting average with the uh, Cleveland Naps. And then, of course, a 390 on base, an 840 OPS uh, with a 155 OPS plus as a second baseman. 33 home runs. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of second basemen have done that in one year. So uh, played again during the dead ball era. So home runs were not uh, a very pretty stat. But of course, a lot of triples, 78 triples, 424 doubles with the Cleveland Naps in 13 years, about 2,000 hits uh, in 13 years with Cleveland. So those are my guys, Jim Tomey, Nap Lajoli. Jim Tomey, of course, also being a complete stud on those 90s teams, uh, was an Indian from 91 to 2002, never won an MVP or an MVP with the Indians, but of course was a silver slugger every single year. And every single year, of course, just putting up insane numbers with OPS plus numbers. Uh, his peak was 2002, a 197 OPS plus with a 1.122 OPS, uh, slugging almost at 700. I mean, it, it's pretty incredible to look at that. So interesting to see who you have for sec or for first and second base. Yeah, Travis, we're still in complete agreement. I think Tommy and uh, Tommy at first base with Napajoy at uh, second base. I think it's one of the best first and second base combos you're going to see as we kind of do this, um, like go team by team. It's going to be one of the best one, two, uh, first, second base combos you'll see. Two, it's not an exaggeration to say they're two of the best players either position of all time. You did a good job wrapping up uh, Napajoy's stats. Uh, it's just kind of funny seeing. You look at some of these guys' pages, and they just have like these kind of funny pictures, and a name is kind of hard to pronounce, and you don't know much about this guy. Um, actually, Charles, looking at the pronunciation, I believe it is pronounced Lajoie. I think we've been saying Lajoie, <laughs> but um, we're not French, so apologies. Lajoie, yeah. Apologize to the I'll apologize to the Lajoie family, but yeah. So Nap Nap's uh, career stats are just you know remarkable. Tons of batting titles. Tons of years, you know, three seasons I'm seeing here led uh, the MLB in OPS plus, which as a second baseman is crazy. A 200 OPS plus in the dead ball era, you know, complete monster seasons he's had. Uh, a 426. Uh, this was the year before he became a Cleveland, a Cleveland Indian. I think they're probably worth the time, maybe something else, but uh, a 426 average that year. So his prowess at the plate was unparalleled. 
and for 13 years as an Indian, Travis, having a almost an 80 war, a 79.6 war is a monster just 13 year stretch that's on another level. So he was the easy pick for second base. For first base, you're completely right. It has to be Tommy. Uh, not only was he part of some great teams, but he he just completely mashed. And he probably didn't win some MVP awards because he was doing lots of DHing or just playing first base. And there's tons of steroid guys he had to compete with for those awards. But looking at the numbers has to be one of the best hitters of his era. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the he also had some good years with Philadelphia and, you know, Chicago. And he kind of traveled around and got MVP votes on other teams as well. But I think his best team was as a Cleveland Indian. And he played the most seasons there too. So uh, overall, just has to be him. A 152 OPS plus as an Indian. Uh, not going to find much better. Definitely not. Definitely not. And so good wrap right there with the right side. Um, Alex, let's go to the left side. Third base shortstop. I'll let you start with this one with giving me your two picks. Yeah. So uh, looking at the Indians left side, uh, I have an old older guy and a newer guy over here. So I'll start off. Very similar. <laughs> I'll start off with uh, with shortstop then. I have uh, Mr. Lou Boudreaux. I think I'm hoping saying that right, Boudreaux. He is someone who I feel like is definitely kind of hidden off the radar. He is a Hall of Famer and an MVP, but those who are not really baseball historians probably have never heard his name. Uh, but you should because he has had a great career. 13 years as a Cleveland Indian, an MVP award, multiple top 10 finishes. Travis, it looks like, it looks like from 42, 1942, all the way till 1948, that's seven straight seasons, was top 10 in MVP voting. That's, a, that's an incredible run he was on. That's crazy. Um, career, 122 OPS plus as a Cleveland Indian, and just tons of war. 62.2 uh, war in the 13-year stretch is pretty incredible from someone that most people have never heard of. So he for sure is on the list, uh, has a World Series, an MVP, a batting title, lots to like, eight All-Stars. Um, easy pick for my shortstop. Third base, I went with their current third baseman. I went with Jose Ramirez. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about how good does a current player have to be to crack the list, right? How good does a player that's playing right now have to be? Obviously, we had Mike Trout on our Angels list, um, and some Astros made their list too. Um, but a team with such rich, rich history as the Cleveland Indians, been around for over a century, multiple championships in different kind of eras, uh, for me... The nine years that Jose Ramirez has put up, it's good enough to make the list in my mind. Uh, just a complete monstrous prime. In the last uh, five seasons of Jose Ramirez's career, for, this is from 2017 till 2021, uh, every year but one of those five, he had over a 141 OPS plus. So one of the best hitters in baseball for you know such a good stretch of time was uh, third in MVP voting in 17 and 18 was third again. And then he was second place in the short 2020 season and was sixth place in the MVP voting just last year. Um, there's so much to like about him. He does it all. We talk about it throughout the season when we do our kind of breakdowns of our all MLB teams because he hits at elite level, switch hitter, plays good defense, and he just has an instinct on the base paths. He has instincts on the base paths that just are kind of unparalleled. He doesn't have that much speed, but he gets 34 steals in a season, 24, 27 steals in a season. Great stealing numbers from a player who is just kind of short and stocky and does not look like a superstar, but his numbers tell me he is the best third baseman in Indians history. Travis, give me your left side. 
Retweet. Charles agrees. <laughs> Alex, I completely agree with you. Lou, of course, starting at shortstop. Lou, Lou Boudreau, you'd say. Um, I mean, about a 60-something, you know, almost a 60 war as an Indian at the shortstop position. Won the MVP. That's very impressive. You went through, of course, a great analysis. Um, it, it has to be, of course, six years of or six to seven years of a top 10 MVP finishes with an MVP, of course, in his 30 uh, year season. So, uh, you know, I, I really can't think of any other Indians that really would be, you know, remotely close. Lindor, of course, is a guy that I would talk about, even Omar Vizquel. But Omar Vizquel, of course, was just purely defense. The offense doesn't really come close. Almost hitting, of course, 300 with the Indians. Uh, with a 122 OPS plus, very, very impressive. You love to see. And then, of course, I want Jose Ramirez as well, Alex. Um, one thing that really I see, I, I really see it stands out is, you know, 2017 to 2020, uh, three of the four years he finished in the top three of mm-hmm. MVP voting. Yeah. Silver Sluggers, all of those years. He was an iconic third baseman. Um, I feel like in those seasons, an insane prime, a very good prime. If it wasn't for, of course, you know, guys like Mike Trout, Mookie Betts that were standing in his way, he might be very close to having an MVP uh, as an Indian. So uh, 100%. really love to see what he has to do. Also being a switch hitter, also being a stolen base machine. I mean, uh, this guy right now, honestly, is going to be on track, of course, for being a 200-200 guy with stolen bases and home runs, possibly even a 300-300 guy. If he can keep the stolen bases up, the home runs, I have no doubt he will get to 300 home runs. Um, stolen bases, too, of course, almost a career high last year at 27 stolen bases 34 is the career high in 2018 but it's just insane to see that kind of stuff as he's still stealing bags uh every single every single year so uh Jose Ramirez is my guy for third base really glad of course we got to talk about both those guys completely different eras but still of course very very good Cleveland Indians baseball players but let's move to the outfield Alex and if you want I'll start first uh, my three outfielders for the Cleveland Indians, or at least the Cleveland baseball franchise, it's going to be Shoeless Joe Jackson, Tris Speaker, and lastly, Manny Ramirez. So, of course, I wanted to, of course, highlight Shoeless Joe Jackson, uh, the infamous, you know, Shoeless who, uh, you know, got banned from baseball with the whole uh Black Sox scandal back in, you know, the early 1910s. I think 1919 was the year that he got banned. But Alex, I mean, you look at the six years he played with Cleveland, six years with Cleveland, six years with the White Sox, and then, of course, two years with uh, Philadelphia. But six years with Cleveland, he batted 375. He had a 441 on base. He had a 542 slugging. Alex, he had a 182 OPS plus. I mean, he was the complete standout. Of the entire league. He was pretty much the MVP for six straight years. I of agree. 1910 to 1914, 1950, playing uh, two seasons or the season with two different teams. But you just look at those, those years from 1914 to 1911, did not win the MVP, probably from a lot of other guys. And some guys will probably li- list, you know, later in, in this episode. But every single uh, year, he was finishing in the top 10 of the MVP. And back then, guys, Every single year, MVPs were very hard to get because I think voters really wanted to give it to guys that, of course, played on winning teams, the Yankees or the Red Sox, really wanted to really wanted to favor guys that, of course, played winning baseball and were the big names. So Shoeless Joe Jackson, of course, being a great Indian back in the early days of those, you know, the 
the, the, the numbers speak for themselves. They are just incredible to look at. Tris Speaker is another one. Spent a lot of times with the Red Sox, but spent majority of the years with the Cleveland Indians. 11 years with the Indians. And Alex, again, a 354 batting average, a 444 on base, and a 520 slugging. That's a 965 OPS with the Indians, a 158 OPS plus as an Indian. Just, I mean, an all-time GOAT with the Indians. I know he's retired as a Cleveland Indian. Uh, won no MVPs, which is really funny. He won his one MVP with Boston. But uh, in his years in Cleveland, I mean, again, just an absolute tear. He actually holds the all-time record for doubles. And every single year, I feel like he was on the Indians he was hitting 40 to 50 doubles every single year. So um, both those guys, of course, are just, I feel like, easy picks for me. Next guy up is Manny Ramirez. And Manny Ramirez, of course, me and you both remember him of, you know, Red Sox. We think Red Sox, we think Manny. Might think a little bit of Dodgers, just, of course, for those, the, those, those, those short seasons, but really good seasons with the Dodgers. But started out his career with the Cleveland Indians in those 90s, great 90s teams. Um, and Alex, again, Almost had a 1,000 OPS with the Indians in the eight years that he spent with them. A 152 OPS plus, 313 batting average. I mean, again, I, I feel like every all three outfielders have a 310 plus batting average, a 400 plus on base, a 550 plus slugging, a 950 plus OPS, and then OPS plus above 150. I mean, they were, we're talking about legends in the outfield for the Cleveland uh, for Cleveland baseball throughout the years. Those are my three guys looking to hear you got. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like your three a lot. We have two of the same and then there's also a difference. So, uh, number oh, so first off, I'll, you know, first outfielder is going to be shoeless Joe Jackson. We completely agree. Everything you said about him, uh, in total agreement, the numbers are just too good. Yes. It was just six seasons and it was also six seasons with the white Sox who, who he played with. Um, infamous black socks but looking at just the cleveland numbers they are too too good to ignore he got you know lots of mvp consideration it was just probably right up there one of the best players in baseball probably like a 1b to kind of tie Cobb uh during that time and he has to be in the team so he's my in my outfield also just like you i also have tris speaker tris speaker travis is also someone who is kind of like in my mind a 1b to tie Cobb. Ty Cobb kind of owned this era. And then there were these other guys who kind of get swept under the rug and they don't really get the credit I think that they deserve. But Tris Speaker, Travis, like you said, all-time leader in doubles. That's kind of some fun trivia that, like, you know, a lot of people might not know. It's like I know who leads in doubles. Like, people probably know oh, Pete Rose is the hits leader and Bonds is the home run leader. But who's the doubles leader? Oh, it's Tris Speaker from the Indians and the Red Sox back in the early 1900s. But, yeah, anyways, his Indians numbers are truly, truly remarkable. Um, I think his best season might be his uh, – 1916 season well 186 ops plus a monster year uh led baseball in hits and led the american league in doubles that season i had a 386 batting average 470 on base 502 slugging just a great great year definitely um so he's a for sure on my team and my last pick travis is going to be kenny lofton so very nice very nice a completely different player from manny ramirez Comparing them is a complete challenge because they almost <laughs> apples are, and oranges. It's almost complete opposites. Uh, Manny, of course, is a slugger and had one of the best bats of his era. One of the looking at just his raw numbers, one of the best right-handed hitters of not only his era but probably in of, of all, all time. Of all time. Yep. He's in that conversation at least. Kenny Lofton, a career 107 OPS plus with the Indians in ten years, he was a 109. Is his best, you know, definitely his best 
team. Oh, Travis, if you look at his page, he spent 10 years with Cleveland, and every other team was one year. Pittsburgh, one year. Giants, one year. Philly, one year. Atlanta, one year. Texas, one year. Dodgers, Cubs, Yankees, Houston, White Sox, all one year. That's crazy. I the, didn't. I did not realize that till right the, now. And, and that would be. A, and I know there, there's a game that sometimes you can think of, uh, or you can, I, there's a game I used to play, of course, in college, and it was you can say a player's name, and then of course you can say every team that he was a part of. Kenny Lofton was on that list that some people would bring up, and it was just like crap. This guy played for like 16 ball clubs. It's yeah, like can yeah. you name all 16? And yeah, but go on. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's crazy, but. All that being said, Cleveland was by far his best. He got MVP votes for them. He got Rookie of the Year votes for them. Um, didn't win any huge, huge award, huge awards, but led, uh, led the American League in, led the American League in stolen bases for five straight seasons. That's dating from 1992 to uh, 1996. Um, led base, led the American League in hits in '94. Uh, the batting is not spectacular, but one season he did have a 145 OPS plus, Travis. To me, combining that with his defense and his speed and his stealing bases, I think that you have to put that in an MVP kind of conversation, just kind of factoring in everything he brought to the table. He had back-to-back seasons of 7 plus war in 93 and 94. A lot of that has to do with what he brought to the table defensively and with his speed in the base paths. Has several seasons above five war um as an indian just because of what he did you know as a complete player more so than a hitter because hitting even though he might have had a lead off a bunch hitting is really not what he should be known for um everything yep. else was great about him though definitely no and he's a definite snub we'll be talking about at the hall of fame uh an absolute contact and and, and just speed machine out there he was one guy of course that was a tough guy to leave off the list. I definitely was looking at him uh, as, you know, being, you know, a lot of years with the, with the Indians and just what he brought to the table. His war was absolutely fantastic. But, uh, you know, looking at Manny Ramirez, having just the early start of his career, what he was able to do, almost, I mean, looking at almost a 1,000 OPS as an Indian, it's, it's just, to me, it's just kind of like, that is just immortal. That, that, is, that is on another level right, right there. And so, uh insane to have you know both those guys like you said you can't really compare if you said kenny lofton many years you'd say what do you want me to compare you right. know they're good ball players yeah. i mean the war is good they're really but they good bring such different skill sets to the table so uh you know glad we got to talk about those not gonna of course really even get it gonna get mad about an argument with those two players because completely different uh they, they just bring such different tools to the table so uh very good that you brought up lofton Alex, for the designated hitter now, uh, I will bring up one guy, of course, that was Lofton's teammate and Manny's teammate. I went with Albert Bell. Uh, Albert Bell, of course, most people don't know too much about him, but from 1996, all uh, going back to 1993, Alex, he was a silver slugger every year, and he finished in almost the top three of MVP every single season most people know him from the infamous play where i don't know who the second baseman is but he right. pretty much just ran into a second baseman lowered, like a lowered, linebacker lowered running, shoulder, yeah. running into a running back and just destroyed a second baseman i think it might have been on the milwaukee brewers but just absolutely destroyed him 
right between first and second base. It's a good clip if you guys want to watch it. I guess he it. broke up the double play. He, he broke up the double play, and it was it was pretty legendary. But going back to his numbers, Alex, he had a 50 home run season in 1995. 50 home runs and 52 doubles with a one with 126 RBIs a 690 slugging that season so honestly an infamous season in 95 really shocked he didn't win the MVP that year uh but just an all-time insanely great slugger for the Indians I know back then I mean having Lofton having Jim Tomey having Manny Ramirez having Albert Bell I mean we're talking about in a lineup that is just probably stupid to even think about um, you know, the OPS pluses too back then were very, very impressive, but I want him for my DH, just a scary looking guy. I mean, the way the guy's shoulders were built and the arms, I mean, it looks like a, a little Frank Thomas, if you could say, but, uh, who do you have for your designated hitter for the Indians? Yeah, Travis, we agree. I also have Albert Bell. Um, you brought up that, like that 1995 season where he should have won MVP and looking at like the competition on the MVP, like voter list Albert Bell, of course, finished second and he had way more war and a way better OPS than the winner who was Mo Vaughn, uh, a seven war versus a 4.3 and his, his OPS was over like 0.13 higher, uh, than Mo Vaughn. So I think Bell did, there's definitely a case that he got robbed there a little bit. Um, but yeah, he, that season, he led all of baseball with 50 home runs, which is obviously, that's a huge milestone to reach at any point in your career. Definitely. His prime was elite with, uh, with three straight years of, you know, third, second and third and MVP voting, uh, was a part of a really good twin or, uh, sorry, Indians mini dynasty there in the nineties. And yeah, Travis, I think the only, the only regret I have about this, uh, bell is a slam dunk for a DH. You need some guy who just need to have a good bat big righty bat like he's the guy you want to pick but um bell obviously has a case to be you know a dh on any team but the one regret i have is leaving off larry doby from this list travis he's I, I had him in a little asterisk up below my team because leaving him off just felt kind of criminal but we both did it um there's just a lot of good outfielders from the indians history as well as a really good dh candidate i did have doby written down actually for dh but i think the peak that uh that Albert Bell provided was just too good. But Doby led, Doby led the uh, American League in OPS Plus twice in his prime uh, with the in, both years with the, with the Indians. Ten years as an Indian, had a 140 OPS Plus, got MVP votes in you know multiple seasons, four different seasons, finished second place once even, uh, led American League in home runs twice. Uh, there's a lot, a lot to like about him. Was pretty much had a consistently good you know, stretch from like the early fifties onward. Also for those that don't know, broke the American league color barrier, which is probably a little bit of bonus points. But at the end of the day, I think bell's numbers were just too good in bell's prime, especially if we're talking about DH and the raw hitting numbers were too good from bell. Exactly. But I had to just give Adobe a quick shout out because uh, his numbers are very, very good. And he is certainly in the all time Indians conversation, even if he didn't crack our team. Yeah, no, no, exactly. He was a guy, of course, outfield wise, looking at where should I find a guy uh, Shoeless Joe, Tris Speaker, two, you know, a locks yeah. for the outfield. Yeah. Then, of course, looking at Lofton, Manny, you kind of had to decide between those guys. And, of course, also Dobie. Uh, I went with Manny. You went with Lofton. Both very, very good picks. And then, of course, DH. You just want to look for the best hitter. Albert Bell's prime was pretty spectacular for the Indians in the 90s. But, uh, Alex, moving to the starting pitching, uh, I'll let you go first. Give me your five. I'll give you my five. We'll discuss. See, of course, what we have the similarities and the differences. Sounds good. So starting off, Bob Feller is my first guy. 
has to be the first guy. Which you don't say. In my mind, just the pitcher of the Indians. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, his striking out ability, I think, was just kind of almost in my mind that kind of changed things. Like obviously, the dead ball era pitchers were great at striking out guys uh, for their time, but Feller was just like I feel like it was just his his as like an art for him almost. But Feller has to be my ace in the hole. Um, Hall of Famer, of course, won a Triple Crown, 48 World Series, and ERA titles. Lots of accolades on his name. And a 63.5 career war. Played his whole career in Cleveland and missed three years on military service. Really probably four years because it looks like he came back in the middle of the 45 season. So if you yeah. give him those seasons back, I wonder how much more he could have achieved in terms of MVP. Three 300 win guy he, from most likely. He really had he he literally led baseball in wins for three straight seasons, and then missed four seasons, and then came back and led baseball in wins <laughs> two more times in a row. So <laughs> if if you, if you just if you just let him play those four years, uh, you know, obviously you know Bob Feller, thank you for your service. But looking at what you did, what you could have done. It would have been just even that much crazier of a career, but exactly uh, going to my second. Thank you, Germany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, number two pick for me, Travis, has to be Addy Joss. Addy Joss is a low key legend. Maybe maybe people might not know about him. Um, he is a Hall of Famer. He only played for nine seasons, uh, which is not that long of a career at all, especially to be a Hall of Famer. But he led baseball in ERA twice. His career ERA, Travis, is a 1.89. He pitched from 1902 to 1910. So we're talking dead ball era, but a 1.89 career ERA just makes no sense to even think about. Uh, it's so low. I think it's the second lowest ever with a certain inning innings threshold. You can point to guys like Christy Mathewson and Walter Johnson who have crazy low ERAs with more innings pitched. But for just being over like a 1,000 innings pitched, he's one of the best ever to do it. Um, it looks like he's an all-time leader in whip as well, which is kind of an interesting bonus points. But I believe he, uh, you know, tragically passed away after uh, age 30. So he played till his age 30 season, got you know nine years under his belt, Hall of Fame career, even though he you know died at 30, which is just a crazy way to kind of go out. But you know, immortalized forever in the Hall. Uh, my third pick, Travis, is Bob Lemon. Uh, my fourth pick is Stan Kowaleski. Uh, and my fifth pick is going to be someone we both know well, Corey Kluber. So that's my three through uh, three through five. Go ahead and give me yours, and then we can discuss those kind of bottom picks. Yeah, so of course, Bob Feller, easy guy to start out with. Um, again, we always talk about this all the time. There's so many greats that we would just love to see what their careers would end up like if, of course, the war did not happen in, you know, 42 to 45 40 you know for him it was 42 to 44 but of course it, it really came back i think really late and missed a great majority of 45 he would definitely be a 300 game winner mm -hmm. uh strikeouts of course would probably actually not easily be north of 3000 he of course yeah. would just transcend his numbers into greater numbers uh you know even looking even like a ted williams we always talk about that it just you really wish the war did not happen just to see these baseball studs go at it for other reasons uh, too it, it, exactly. but it also took away the baseball <laughs> i know i'm being a little selfish right now but just looking at the baseball stats it's just crazy with some of these guys but bob feller easy one to get on there also again bob lemon another guy to have on the list uh hall of famer uh, really funny, you know, looking at his baseball reference page, it he he didn't really he didn't start his career until 1946, but it has three years prior to military service, which is kind of interesting to have because I guess he must have been on the roster 
1943, but then got sent to war. And so he just was put on the roster, but was in military service. So this is Bob Lemon, right? Bob Lemon, yeah. of course. Yeah, correct. And so uh, another great for the Indians, you know, 13 years, over 200 wins, a 3.23 ERA. Uh, just another great for the uh, Cleveland Indians and also a Hall of Famer for L- the Indians. L- lots of top 10 MVP finishes as a pitcher, which is pretty impressive. Exactly. One, two, three, four, five. Six exactly. Top ten finishes. Exactly. Very nice combo. Him and uh both Bobs, Bob Feller, yeah. Bob Lemon. Very nice combo to deal with uh if you're facing them. And then of course, like you said, Addie Joss, uh back in you know 1902 to 1910, uh passed away, of course, right after the 1910 seasons. The all-time leader in whip for any starting pitcher of all time, a 0.968 whip. Uh, pretty remarkable looking at that. And then, of course, the ERA, a 1.89 ERA, a sub-2 ERA, which you're just getting into kind of stupidity levels right, right there. But, of course, dead ball era is going to give you those numbers in the early 1900s. But a 1.43 ERA plus. Alex, of course, I went Corey Kluber as well. Two Cy Young winners. One of the greatest primes, if you look at for Cleveland Indians history, uh, was an absolute juggernaut, I feel like, in those uh, you know, really successful Indians teams that went to the World Series, won all those divisions in the AL Central. So he had to be on my list. But the last guy I had was Early Win. Mm-hmm. Uh, Early Win, of course, pitched uh, with a couple different teams, but as a Hall of Famer, a 61 war, uh, but 10 years with the Indians. And he had 164 wins in those 10 years. So you're looking almost almost about 16 to 17 wins a year. He's averaging a 3.24 ERA with a 119 ERA plus. Very, very dominant, I, I thought. So, uh, you know, again, a good teammate for Feller and Lemon. Uh, really insane to look at Feller, Lemon, and Win all in the same rotation at the same time. Uh, pretty crazy when you look at the history of baseball and three Hall of Famers uh, all in the same rotation. Um, you know, I the most recent one I think of is, of course, the, the 90s Braves with Glavin, Smoltz, and also Maddox. But... Uh, Give me who you got. For, I'm sorry. Give me your last pick. I I, I forget it the was, name you gave me. So, but. yeah, it was Stan Kovaleski. Okay. And uh, I'm trying to pull up his page right now. Uh, quickly back on Kluber. I'm glad we kind of agreed on that because Kluber is just a player who, like you said, in his prime, not only was in a important little era for the Indians, but, like, I think there's just so much, uh, like, I, I'm someone who always loves peaks, right? Yeah. I, I'm really big on, like, how good was your best years and his best years were just some of the best period he had really dominant ops plus numbers um and for that reason he had to be on my team even though he was just in my fifth spot but travis pulling up stan kovaleski um stan kovaleski travis was a on the cleveland indians from 1916 to 1924 and uh overall his war for the team is just pretty incredible in just nine years he racked up uh, it looks like 56.8 war in just nine years. I'm super impressed with how good that is. I like kind of on a rate basis. Um, the war per year is just super, super impressive. Looking at some of his best seasons, an 8.4 war in 1917. The next year was a 9.9, then a 6.7 war, an 8.7 war, 7.3 war. He was just on a tear of high production. And still having a good ERA plus numbers, like a 156 ERA plus, 
164 year plus. So just overall, uh, it was sort of the end of the dead ball era, and he kind of transitioned into the Babe Ruth era in the 20s, where things got a little harder, to, became harder to be a pitcher essentially. But overall, I loved his numbers. Early win, Travis was you know the difference we had. Early win is a Hall of Famer, and he totally deserves the credit um, to be on this kind of team. I just liked Kovaleski's. Uh, it was by far his most played team was the Indians. I actually liked that. Uh, and Win obviously has, you know, he deserves all the credit, I will say. But I just like the two ERA titles, the Hall of Fame, uh, Stan Kovaleski. He was also kind of an unknown guy, and I feel like I kind of had to throw him in there just for the, uh, the, the kind of novelty of that. Very good, very good. Um, yeah, no, I mean... Uh, starting pitching for the Indians, when you look at it overall, is very, very deep. Um, they have some. It's they, deep and it's very historic. We're looking up all these do. guys from like these eras that have been long forgotten. But they do, they do. You're right, and and, and it's very, very impressive. I'm sure it'll be, uh, you know, very. Uh, some of these guys at least will be on our, you know, all AL Central team. But uh, moving to the ninth inning, Alex, uh, very different from the Twins. Uh, this ninth inning guy, uh, very recent, and he actually was on our team uh, a couple seasons ago. So I went with Cody Allen. Uh, you know, it's really interesting to look at it because you look at those successful, you know, almost I feel like 2014 to 2018 Indians. The relief pitcher was Andrew Miller. He was the guy in the relief in the pen that came out and yeah. just dominated. He was the guy but that was feared. Cody Allen was the closer for the Indians and Miller was just the setup man. And so... It was crazy to see Allen having, I think he actually holds the all-time saves record for the Indians with 149 saves. Uh, but, I mean, looking at these numbers, I mean, 34 saves, 32 saves, 30 saves, 20 save, 27 saves. I mean, almost every single year, it was 30 saves. And the ERAs in some of these years were literally sub-three ERAs every single year. They were all in the twos. Very dominant performance with the Cleveland Indians. Seven years with them. Give me who you got for your ninth inning. Same guy, Cody Same Allen. Guy. Yeah, Same I completely guy. agree. The ERAs are too good in the in his prime. Um, relief pitchers, Travis, sometimes they have short primes, and I think that's okay when we're assessing this. He met our requirement for you know years played as an Indian. He had a great prime as an Indian, and we shouldn't knock him because he had a short career. That's the way it goes. I think he was by far the best option, at least in my mind. No, definitely. And you know, looking at other guys, um, I, I, I know you know they had some great relievers back in the '90s, but Cody Allen with what he brought to the table. Uh, I mean, the numbers were just too good to look at. So he, of course, is our ninth inning guy. I do, of course, favor Joe Nathan. I feel like a, a definite slam dunk compared to Cody Allen. But, uh, of course, every team has their, you know, has their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, of course, the Indian strengths are, you know, outfield and starting pitching because they are very, very deep. But, yeah. um, Alex, we'll move to another organization. And this, of course, I believe is one of probably the deepest organizations in baseball, and that is the Detroit Tigers. Uh, they have been around, of course, again, 121 years. Uh, 121 years of Detroit Tigers baseball. Never switched the name. Always have been consistent with that name. So uh, 1901 to, 19, to 2021 they have been in existence. So uh, this will, of course, be a really fun, uh, I think, segment, a part of this episode because uh, they've got a lot of goats on this team. So uh, I'll start with the catching position, Alex. For me, I had Bill Freehan. Uh, he has been a Detroit Tiger for 15 years, and he played his whole entire career with the Detroit Tigers. So longevity, in my eyes, really stood the test uh, for this one, 200 home runs, 240, 41 doubles. 
262 average, not terrible, but not uh, not great, of course. As a catcher, I'm not going to, of course, really downplay that. So, uh, Again, not terrible, but 340 on base, so a really good walk percentage rate yeah. when it look as a, when you look at it as a catcher. So, uh, like that a lot. And then of course a 752 OPS, a 112 OPS plus. Um, Alex, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna say the main reason I chose him was the longevity. 15 years as a Tiger, played for some really good teams, finished second, actually finished third and second back to back years in 1967 and 68. Um, during some of those great Tigers teams, the team won it in 68 against the Cardinals and the Bob Gibson team that right. was uh, very, very dominant, but uh, was the main catcher for those great teams. Alex, who do you have for your catching list? Yep, same guy. Yeah, Bill Freehan has to be the pick for me as well. Uh, I love the batting numbers. It's it's peak a catcher in back-to-back seasons, a 144 OPS plus next year, a 145. That kind of consistency, uh, he had the ability to succeed at the plate during one of the best pitching eras ever. 1968 was the famous, you know, like you mentioned, the Cardinals, Bob Gibson year. That was the year when all pitchers were just going on another level and they had to like change the rules of baseball, like lower the mound. And like, I think they shrunk the strike zone. They did all this kind of stuff to like kind of fix that. But during the, when the pitching was the best it's ever been, he actually had great offensive performance. Um, The walking, like you said, is very good. The career on base is 340 for a catcher who played 15 years. That's a really good number to be at, I think. Um, a 112 OPS plus on the career played the full career with Detroit Um, he had to be the pick for me I agree definitely definitely and now we'll move to the right side of the infield first and second base Alex I think this was a very simple you know slam dunk for me both guys World Series champions both guys MVPs both guys Hall of Famers first base I have Hank Greenberg second base I have Charlie I think it's Charlie Geringer. I think it's Geringer, yeah. Geringer. But going back to Hank Greenberg, one of the greatest sluggers of all time. Another guy who, of course, uh, had some military service midway through his career. So, of course, he missed his, I think it's age 31 to 33 seasons. So kind of the later half of his prime. But you look back on it, he played 13 years, 12 years with the Tigers. The last year was with Pittsburgh. 12 years with the Tigers, he had 306 home runs. Uh, a 319 average, a 161 OPS plus, uh, you know, an OPS, a career OPS above 1000. And that's something right there that just is something that, you know, most guys, of course, do not achieve that. That is a inner circle legend status on the Hall of Fame uh, in the museum. So Greenberg, of course, all-time slugger, has to be in. Again, another guy where you just wonder, man, if this guy would have played, you know, all those years, uh, did not have any military service, he could be very close to 2,000 RBIs and, of course, 500 home runs. So he is first base, second base, Geringer, 19 years with the Tigers. His whole entire career uh, had a war, of course, about an 85 war almost 3,000 hits, not a crazy home run hitter, of course, but 184 home runs as a second baseman. Very impressive, I thought, for, uh, you know, being second base power. And then, of course, over 500, almost 575 doubles as a second baseman as well. A lot of triples, 146, 320 batting average, uh, an 884 OPS with a 125 OPS plus, uh, and also had an MVP in 1937. Again, a great contact guy had a little bit of power, but just a great contact guy and one of the leaders. I feel like in those 1920s and 30s Tigers uh, teams. So, who do you got, of course, for your uh, right side of the infield? 
Yeah, Travis, I think you know who I got. If th- these two guys are, are kind of faces of the franchise, if you know your Detroit Tigers history. Hank Greenberg has to be the first baseman. Two MVP awards to his name. Lots of other, you know, high finishes on that as well. Uh, it looks like, it's like, Charles, there's like, there's like seven straight seasons where he had above a thousand OPS. Just a complete monster in the, you know, mid to late 30s. Um, of course, in the early 40s, had the military service that took a big chunk away from his prime, like you mentioned. But uh, he was able to hit doubles. He was able to hit homers. He walked a ton. He, Travis, he actually led MLB in walks, or led the American League at least, or no, National League for Pittsburgh in 1947. It's really funny looking at like some of these legends, Travis. They start to age. And I think back in the day, they saw, oh, your average is, your batting average is 249, and you had 74 RBIs. You're like, you're washed. And they probably like, no one wanted them. In reality, Travis, he had still had a 132 OPS plus and a 408 on base. He was still walking a ton and hit 25 homers. So even though he was getting up there in age, I feel like. If I feel like this is almost an MVP in modern baseball, like a, t- a 250 average, but your on base was really good and you still had homers and and you know it's just kind of different the way you know definitely baseball is viewed, I guess. But it's just really funny that uh, the way his career ended. I feel like at 36 he might have had some juice left. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, overall the numbers are too good for Greenberg. Uh, he is the easy easy pick, one of the best right-handed hitters ever, honestly. Yep. And then uh, Garinger has to be in the list as well. Uh, I just agree with everything you said. I will say that there was one guy who made me. I'm glad. I'm glad you pointed that out. Hesitate right now. <laughs> on Garinger because Lou Whitaker, Travis, is very underrated. Yep, he's exactly. A, he's an all-time, uh, really, really good second baseman. He has a Rookie of the Year award to his name, a World Series award or ring, uh, three Gold Gloves, four Silver Sluggers, five All Stars. So can kind of do it all. Um, and as a second baseman, Travis. Overall, the batting is just very good. Uh, he is a 141 OPS plus in 91. He has a you know a 133 this other year, 137 this other year. Tons of these years in his prime, he's hitting you know like a, a really good All Star, and he's playing second base at a Gold Glove level. Uh, the average is not really there. It's down at 276 on the career, but he he walked a good amount, and he had you know he had you know decent speed, got some steals, and got a lot of doubles in his prime. 420 career doubles. So. A lot to like about Lou Whitaker and Travis. He is someone who often gets mentioned as one of the biggest, like one of the bigger, at least, Hall of Fame snubs. 75.1 career war. That's a lot to not be in the Hall of Fame. Definitely. 75 career war and to not be a Hall of Famer. A 19-year career, very successful career. Definitely an underrated player. Um, he had to be mentioned, but Garinger for me, Travis, was definitely the lock. We're in a complete agreement there. Garinger's inner circle. He, there's a conversation that Garinger's like a top five uh, second baseman ever. So. Easily, easily, easily. So uh, I'm glad you pointed out Lou Whitaker. I had his page right here pulled up. I thought I'd give him a shout out. You gave it to him. Uh, yeah, it, it was almost, it, it just sucks when you have one guy who's just very, very good at that position and he's an all timer at the position, but you have one guy that's just a close second and you're like, and Travis, sorry, it, buddy, I, I got to leave you off. If you look at their pages, they both literally only played second base i was like can i slide this exactly. guy to shortstop exactly. or something can exactly. i make it happen hey, you look e- at that and every you really single want to year it. he played nothing but uh, second base with lou whitaker but that's the way it goes and both guys having insanely long careers with the one organization lou whitaker being an all-timer uh same thing with garinger of course but uh let's move to the left side of the infield alex and you know i, I will say that the left side was a dare- definitely it, it was a little difficult because there were some guys that really, you know, you wanted to have in certain spots, but I, I think I just looking at the credentials, it just did not fit well for that. And I didn't want to, you know, put him there if he had one season at that position. 
Um, but for me, Alex, I had Alan Trammell at shortstop. He is a Hall of Famer as a Detroit Tiger. I think he spent, uh, yeah, spent 20 years with the Detroit Tigers. So again, another guy that spent two decades with one team went into the Hall of Fame actually a couple of years ago, I believe, with a Veterans Committee vote. Uh, just looking now, he's actually from Garden Grove, which is pretty, that's pretty, pretty crazy. That's pretty close to us. <laughs> pretty crazy to look at. But yeah, just got in a couple of years ago, but was a World Series MVP, three-time Silver Slugger, uh, also, you know, a World Series champion, four-time Gold Glove, six-time All-Star. You know, I will say he is definitely not an inner circle Hall of Famer. If I had to make a Hall of Fame team of guys that are just, you know, meh, he he would you know I I, I will no, I will be I, honest I, I get what you're saying I, I I would probably think about maybe putting him there just because if you look at the overall numbers you know a 285 you know 285 batting average okay that's good 110 OPS plus that's decent too okay you know he it's actually, solid for a shortstop but it's not blowing us away it's you know exactly it's not blowing us away compared to other shortstops in the game um, but Alan Trammell a very good shortstop. Uh, and of course, a Hall of Famer for the Detroit Tigers and 20 years of the Tigers. He is my shortstop. Third base, Alex, this is probably one of the weakest spots in the Tigers, you know, organization as a whole. I actually went with Travis Freeman, or I think it's Freeman or Fryman. Okay. I think it's Fryman, but Travis Fryman uh, spent eight years with the Tigers. Uh, you know, numbers are just very meh, I would just say again. Uh, a 274 average, a 106 OPS plus, uh, a very average kind of hitter. Um, his main position was third base. He played all the years with at third base for the Tigers. So uh, had to put him there. There's, of course, one guy I wanted to put at third base, but he might be later on my list. Uh, I figured. But, uh, yeah, I had to go with Travis Fryman just, of course, for all the years he played at third base. Um, I wanted to keep that in the back of my head as well when I made this list. I didn't want to put a guy who had one or two seasons at third base, but interested to see who you got, shortstop and third base. Yeah, so shortstop, Travis, we agree. It has to be uh, Alan Trammell. There's, uh, you know, like you said, you summed it up well. He's a Hall of Famer. Is his career, like, you know, up there with, like, honestly, I think it's a very comparable career to, like, Lou Whitaker, who Lou Whitaker, we had yep. a snub because of yep. the positional comparison, but... Uh, Alan Trammell, Travis, 70 career war, all with the Tigers. You can't argue with that. He has to be the shortstop. His uh, production was very consistent uh, for, I think, what was it? I think 19 seasons. Yeah, 19 or 20 seasons. Yeah, all with a Tiger. Um, he just played lots of games in his prime. He didn't, you know, didn't get hurt and put up lots of, he got, you know, low ballot MVP votes, got a second place finish in one season. Um, and a World Series MVP doesn't hurt as well, right? Um, exactly. Has silver sluggers and gold gloves. So, overall a kind of a jack of all trades uh deserves to be on the team and then travis uh my third base spot actually i'm going with who you alluded to is going to be later on your list i'm going with miguel cabrera i think when you have two mvps as a i think when you have back-to-back -back mvp awards i should say and they're both when you were playing third base i'm okay with saying that you're my third baseman for the team it's a good way to kind of fit him into the team in my mind at least um travis as a detroit tiger uh, his his hitting has been pretty incredible. A 145 OPS plus as a Tiger. That's a 14-year career and counting still currently on the team still. Was a 96 OPS plus guy. So a little bit a tad below average, but still a kind of guy who in a platoon role can continue to rack up stats in the next couple seasons while he still has a, a, you know, his contract remaining. Um, the war also as a Tiger is you know really impressive. It's fifth, up at 50. So 
that is, you know, all-time kind of stuff. Like I mentioned, he has back-to-back MVP awards, MVP awards, and then a second-place finish just two years before that. So his prime as a Tiger um, is without question, you know, Hall of Fame caliber. And uh, he played enough third baseman to be my third baseman, even if you may disagree. But, you know, there's no problem there. I'd say. No problem. <laughs> no, exactly. I It was uh, definitely Miggy was in high consideration for that. Um, just for me and my stance, I just didn't see him. He playing that many games at third base. I thought, you know what, I'll go with someone else. And it was a pretty, a pretty rough decision to make, but right. I just figured, it, okay. You it's it's kind of weird how the, his two MVP awards are the only two years. If you look at his baseball reference to positions, it's the only seasons where he played more third base. Prince than, Fielder. Than something else. Yeah. So Prince Fielder, of course, playing first base right. those seasons. So he, of course, moved from first to third when they acquired Fielder. And then, of course, they traded Fielder to the Rangers and he moved back to first. Uh, it, it, it was, it's crazy to look at that, too, in the history of kind of like what they did to get certain players. And then Miggy was like, I'll move around for you guys. I'll do what you guys want to do. And then now, of course, filling in as like almost a full time DH in the later half of his career, as we all, of course, predicted because of the old age getting up there. You know, they rather have better defense at first base. But um, good roundabout on the infield, Alex. Let's move to the outfield. Three outfield spots. I'll let you go first. Give me your three, and then we'll discuss. I'll give you mine, and then we'll discuss. Yep. So some elite Hall of Fame caliber guys in the outfield, Travis. The number one guy that has to be here is, of course, Ty Cobb. For those that don't know, was the all-time hits leader until Pete Rose broke that record, but had that record for, you know, you know, going on, you know, three quarters of a century, just a complete, I believe, yeah, getting close to, uh, yeah, I think about three quarters of a century, but uh, yeah, overall, Travis, one of the best hitters of all time. There's just no argument. Otherwise, um, he, you know, I'm trying to find it here. He, yeah, he was the all-time batting average leader at 366, which is a monstrous number, but you almost think of him in that way and say, okay, he was a great contact hitter, but that's selling him short. He led baseball and slugging, one or he led the league in slugging one two three four five six seven eight times so he hit for extra bases just as good as anyone else in his era has an mvp right in the middle of that a 168 ops plus on the career is amazing and 22 years travis as a tiger that is a lot a lot (laughs) a lot of time to be on one team and then had two years uh, with philadelphia after that um I think it might have been like a player manager role, if I'm not mistaken. But Travis, overall, looking at the war, a 144.9 career war uh, as a Detroit Tiger is way, way, way too much to think about anyone else. Uh, so he has to be the first pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Travis, as I'm looking at his war numbers, it has his salaries right here. And I guess he made $1,500 in, yeah. in 1906, which is just <laughs> really – in his MVP year, he made $9,000, which is just, you know – that's uh, that's that, that wouldn't be that good on today's standards, but uh, definitely not. It's not Mike Trout money, but Travis, second uh, spot on my team has to be Al Kaline. I think if Mr. you're Tiger. not ta- yep. if you're not talking about the old school era like Ty Cobb, he is like the modern day like if you thought like integration and onwards, he's the Mister Tiger. Um, Al Kaline, overall, just a five tool player, elite defender in the outfield, um, and had a good combination of hitting for contact in his prime. Has a batting title. A 340 average in 1955 also has the best slugging uh, in the American League in 1959 so he can kind of do it all um, walked a good amount tons of uh, all-stars tons of MVP top 10 finishes so he's an easy pick and my third choice Travis is going to be Sam Crawford 
Sam Crawford is someone who I think also might not get a lot of consideration. Was kind of a, he was a Ty Cobb teammate and kind of hid in Ty Cobb's shadow, I would assume, uh, for a lot of his career. But I think there's just too much, too much going for him positively for me to leave him off. He was a Tiger from 1903 up until he retired in 1917. He's the career leader in triples, which is a stat that I think he edges out Ty Cobb by like single digits. <laughs> Ty yeah, Cobb is right yeah. behind him. But Sam Crawford is your all-time leader in triples for MLB history. Um, a 144 OPS plus um, in his career. And it's at 145 for just as a Tiger. 15 years a Tiger. Um, and the war is very good. He, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a really an all-time great. His war as a Tiger was uh, 63.7. So for me, he has to be in the team. Uh, Travis, talk to, me, talk to me about your three outfielders. Yeah, so first two, of course very on point uh ty cobb <laughs> being you know one of the i would say definitely one of the goat outfielders you know uh of of all time and you know hall of fame mvp triple crown 12 time batting champion the 366 all-time batting average and i think he honestly is second all-time in doubles 724 doubles behind tris speaker uh Second and double, second and triples. I, I second mean, and I, second and base hits, and and second and batting average. I mean, I actually first and batting. First average. I'm, I'm so sorry, but yeah, second and base hits. You're right. So uh, a big second place guy in a lot of things, but yeah, Ty Cobb is the all time. You know, just he. If you had to pick one guy, probably for the Tigers, he's a very good case for the for the best the, Tiger. The war speaks for itself. So he is the guy, and then of course Al Kaline, another Hall of Famer, 18 time All Star. World Series champion and also a 10-time gold glover. Just honestly, one of the best right fielders of all time defensively. I feel like, you know, every single year he's winning a gold glove. When you look at, I think, honestly, looking at his prime from like 55 to 66, 67, it's just gold gloves every yeah. year and it's MVP votes every single year. So he's doing something, of course, right. Uh, and, you know, over 3,000 hits, uh, almost a 300 batting average, just an all-time great Tiger um, I was in really high consideration of Sam Crawford, Alex, just because of the numbers he put up. But actually, I went to Hi uh, Harry Heilman. So Harry Heilman, of course, playing from 19, about 1916 to 1929 with the Tigers. So, of course, playing against Babe Ruth and those great Yankees teams. But uh, 342 uh, average as a Tiger with, with a 410 on base, 518 slugging, a 927 OPS, and a 149 OPS plus, just edging out Sam Crawford. I think Sam Crawford had a 144 OPS plus. Uh, but of course, I think honestly, it was, uh, in fact, yes, definitely beat him. And of course, in home runs, Sam Crawford playing a little in the dead ball era, of course. But uh, Harry Heilman, I mean, just literally, I think it was 1922 to. 1928 was literally getting MVP votes every single year. And I think in that era, it was a very high compliment to get top 10 MVP votes every single year when you got guys like Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and Jimmy Fox playing alongside you in the same league. Uh, so Harry Heilman is my guy. Great power. Uh, just a great prime. 15 years with the Tigers. He would be my outfielder rounding out with those three great outfielders. But um Alex, DH. So for me, this is actually this is where I went with Miguel Cabrera. Right, I figured. 
So Miguel Cabrera, of course, two MVPs, going to be a Hall of Famer, going to go in the Hall of Fame as a Detroit Tiger, no doubt about it, a triple crown winner. Um, that's all I got to say about that. Who do you have for your designated hitter for a Tiger? So, Travis, I have no pushback on your Harry Heilman outfield thing because he's my DH. So I just, I just, <laughs> I just slided him over to DH, um, even though he was, he was an outfielder. I like his bat a ton, and I figure – my other outfielders are so good at defense. Uh, Ty Cobb and Sam Crawford are two of the fastest players probably ever. And then K-Line in right field. So I'll just leave the slugging to uh, Howman on the DH spot. Like you said, four batting titles. Uh, led baseball in doubles in uh, 1924 with 45 doubles. Uh, has received top 10 MVP votes in one, two, three, four, five, six straight seasons. Which is a great, great player. Um, definitely underrated. Probably in Babe Ruth's shadow a little bit because he was slugging big time in like the 20s in the American League, which was just owned by, you know, Babe, of course, and Jimmy Fox as well, but um, other guys like that, Mel Ott in the National League, all that kind of stuff. But overall, he has to be in my team, and I found a spot for him at the DH position. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we agree about Heilman. He was obviously really good, really underrated. Yeah, I mean, looking at his numbers too, just, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, the slugging, the OPS, the OPS plus, uh, you know, when you have an OPS plus, you know, after 15 years with one team and it's near 150, you know, it's that, all time, all time. That stuff. that definitely is someone is going to you know pop out and really you know make you make you you know pay attention to that. But uh, Alex, let's move down to the starting pitching and the Tigers. Of course, having a very good starting pitching staff. If you look at the all time team, um, Alex, I'll let you go first. Give me your five. I'll give you my five, and then of course we'll talk about it uh, and discuss it. So my number one guy, Travis, is Justin Verlander. I think. He is going to be a lock for the Hall of Fame when he gets to that point. I'm still active, of course, but his days of counting stats to the Detroit Tigers is probably over unless he gets some other contract extension <laughs> in a couple of seasons. But Verlander has to be my ace in the hole. Uh, Hal Newhouse or Travis is on my team for sure. Um, really back-to-back -back dominant seasons. I think people often talk about his like back-to-back -back dominant seasons was right during the World War II and a lot of players kind of left for the war. And in that time, he really just thrived. And he was uh, an elite, elite pitcher. So he's on my team. Dizzy Trout is someone who I also have on my team, Travis. Obviously, has a really legendary name. But uh, the stats do back up how good he really was. Um, Dizzy Trout is a ERA title World Series winner. Um, a 212 ERA in 1944. Uh, ended up getting, it looks like, second place in MVP voting that year. So narrowly, narrowly missed the, uh, the, the accolade, but 352 innings pitched in 1944. That's just like a, another level of workhorse. So Dizzy Trout makes my team. And I round out my starting five with Jim Bunning and Tommy Bridges. So just two guys who are probably lesser known, but let me hear yours and then we can talk. Interesting you say, because of course the top two is Verlander and Neuhauser. Yeah. Um, both guys, just elite Tigers. Verlander will be going in the Hall of Fame one day as a Tiger, most likely. Uh, and of course, the last guy I had was Tommy Bridges in there as well. But two guys I had uh, in the middle of my rotation, and that is Jack Morris, and that is Mickey. I think it's Lolich. Right. Uh, and so Jack Morris, of course, being a Hall of Famer, I think honestly best known for his uh, – one season with the twins um that season they went on to win the world series that year i think he finished yeah fourth uh in uh yeah fourth i yeah fourth in cy young voting and then also with the al uh mvp voting he finished i think it was 11th or actually it was 13th in mvp voting that year um but it was just crazy because i remember that season 
he pitched game seven and actually went yeah. 10 innings. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest just kind of game sevens, one of the greatest pitching performances in playoffs and World Series history, but was, of course, a Detroit Tiger legend. Um, I just figured 12 or 14 years with the Tigers, almost 200 wins with the Tigers, a 3.73 ERA for a 108.8 ERA plus. Not a very, I, th- I think, elite, elite number as we're looking for some of these pitchers on these lists, but I just figured with you know, helping them win a 1984 as a World Series uh, champion. And then, of course, uh, the five All-Stars. Uh, and then, of course, Hall of Fame as well. I think he definitely deserves a spot on this list with being one of the one of the top war guys as a Detroit Tiger pitcher. Uh, that's one of the main reasons I picked him. And then Mickey Lolich, uh, another guy who pitched in uh, 60s and then all the way up to 75. So 13 years with the Tigers, 207 wins. Uh, three four five ERA uh, with n- not again a not a great 105 ERA plus but I just figured again um, had a really good prime of 71 and 72 finished top three in Cy Young and finished I think it was top five in MVP um, very very impressive seasons I thought by the by by just 71 to 72 I think definitely made my list he had ERAs below three and he had wins above 22 so he was just a workhorse in 71 72 376 innings pitched in 1971 he only finished second in the uh Cy Young voting 29 complete games he kind of just had a freak of a season uh that season for the Tigers and I figured you know what um I think it's good enough to make my list so uh, I know you, of course, talk talk about kind of the guys that you picked with uh, with why you went those ways. Yeah, I both the guys you mentioned, Travis, that I did not include are guys who I had on my list at some point, and I was just kind of workshopping names I could include, and I just kind of made the cuts that I did. Uh, I really do like Jim Bunning. His numbers are, uh, I think they're kind of sneaky good. Nine years as, as a Tiger, uh, one sixteen ERA plus as a Tiger, so. ERA plus is something I'm kind of big on, and even though it's just nine seasons, uh, you you said some guys who have a bit more longevity with the Detroit Tigers, but I think in terms of how good your prime is, I see two different seasons right here for uh, two seasons for Jim Bunning in Detroit where he had over a 140 ERA plus. He got MVP votes uh, multiple times, multiple different seasons as a Tiger. The Tigers were the team he pitched the most years for, so I liked him for that spot. Um, overall, I do like the Morris pick, Travis. I don't know why his ERA plus, it's it just kind of low. I'm not sure why that is. I think he was consistently probably very good and just didn't often like dominate quite as, as much as I guess I would have liked. But obviously, when you're talking about like legendary Tigers, his name comes to mind really quickly. So I have no problem with the pick at all, uh, for sure. Um, I think besides that, I think, you know, we're more or less on the same page. No, exactly. Both guys that we mentioned that were different, um, very different reasons, of course, to like them. Both guys, not not totally. wrong at all. Um, I think on some of these starting pitching lists, you just have to go with what you like more. Longevity, peak, um, just kind of, you know, th- th- those are the big things I think we look at with, you know, do you want a guy who's been there for a really long time? Or do you want a guy that's been there for five years? And those five years were just complete dominance. And if we, me and you, of course, have shown that in our list of you know looking at both of those as being you know very strong uh picks for why we select guys but um alex let's move to the ninth inning role and uh this one was it was a really interesting pick because it definitely took a lot of research to look in who we should have as our you know best ninth inning guy for the tigers i agree and i actually went with willie hernandez 
So Willie Hernandez has, of course, I don't think he's the all-time leader in saves. I think he only has 100, yeah, 120 saves with the Detroit Tigers through six seasons. Uh, a 2.98 ERA with a 135 ERA plus. But Alex, 1984, that rings a very nice bell for him. Winning the Cy Young and the MVP as a closing pitcher. Um, when you do that, you, in my opinion, are just put on a pedestal of just, you're just different. I mean, we look at guys like Dennis Eckersley, uh, who have done that and even Raleigh fingers. And those guys are just on a different level. And when you can win an MVP and the Cy Young in the same season, uh, I mean, you really just cannot compete with anyone like that. Yeah, I, I agree. He's my pick as well. Um, the MVP is super impressive. Um, and, and. I don't know why this is a little era of baseball history where they were obsessed with giving the award to closing pitchers. Like yeah. it yep. was, he was right in the middle of kind of fingers MVP, like dominant, uh, little stretch there. And then also Eckersley was like the early nineties. So, uh, this 84 season was super monstrous for him. Uh, Travis, that season he pitched 140 innings of relief, which is, that's all, that's a high workload for a reliever. In that my is, mind. that is uh, pitching 80 games, which led baseball for, you know, relief pitchers for all pitchers. Um, yeah, overall, I think he's the obvious pick. Not There were other names I was considering, but at the end of the day, I had to agree with you and go Willie Hernandez for this one. Perfect. So I think we can uh, wrap that up and move on to the next team, Alex, and it is going to be the Chicago White Sox. Uh, again, another team that has played for 121 years since 1901. Uh, so again, a lot of deep, deep history with this. It's just funny how the Central... Um, we just can't catch a break with a team that's been around for, you know, 20 or 30 years. It's just deep, deep history with some of these teams. So uh, White Sox, Alex, let's start, of course, off with the catching position. Uh, I'll start first with it. Alex, I think it's definitely an easy pick. It's Carlton Fisk, in my opinion, Hall of Famer, uh, you know, multiple silver sluggers. Start his career, of course, with the Red Sox. Uh, and then, of course, at age 33, started the second half of his career with the White Sox. 13 years with the White Sox, played to 1993 until his 45 season. Uh, but, you know, looking at the entirety of the 13 years, you know, 214 home runs and 214 doubles. Uh, you know, not a great OPS plus of 109, but he is a catcher. He had, of course, I think a better somewhat beginning with the Red Sox and then moved on to the White Sox. Very similar to our pools, in my opinion. Uh, you know, starts starts a career off great with one team, and then the other team, of course, is was not terrible, but of course is he, not as good he as he was. Till he was 45. So exactly. That, that says something about when you're still, Terrace, his most, first of all, I'll say I agree. My catcher is also Carlton Fisk. You're age 45, and you still played 25 games at catcher. That's crazy. Insane. A 45-year-old playing MLB catcher. I mean, I really want to show his knees are like now. In 1993, that, that, that's another level. And I'm not going to knock him for, you know, really tailing off in terms of his hitting towards his, uh, you know, 40s pretty yep, much. Yep. I'm not going to knock him too much for that. Um, his his prime batting numbers in my mind were, well, you know, they were definitely good enough for catcher standards. Uh, and then obviously we all kind of remember the iconic Boston moments, the waving the ball fair, hitting the foul pole and has some better MVP finishes uh, in Boston, a rookie of the year as well. But um, some very good seasons as a White Sox. And overall, I think he kind of blows away the competition in terms of war, I would say. In 13 years as a White Sox, has almost 30 war. So for a catcher, that's really good. And he makes the list for me. 
Definitely. Okay. And uh, now moving to the right side of the infield, first and second base uh, for the White Sox. Alex, I'll let you go first with this one. Uh, give me your two. I'll respond. We can discuss that. Cool. Yeah. So, Travis, uh, first and second base. First base, actually, I'm going with Paul Canerco. Okay. So, uh, there's some different options at first base as well as some guys that might qualify for DH. But I ended up going to build the team Paul Canerco, 1B. And then at second base, I rocked with Eddie Collins. Back to Eddie so, Collins. So, back, yeah, if you guys remember last episode, he was the second baseman for uh, both of our athletics teams. I think he was the second baseman for both of our all, all yep. AL West team. Definitely. So just a complete legend, a top three second baseman ever, probably looking at just the, the war and the numbers he put up in, in the dead ball era. But, Travis, give me yours and we'll talk. Yeah, retweet. Same guys. <laughs> uh, Paul Canerco um, had to, of course, get him on the list. I think he has almost, uh, you know, about yeah, 432 home runs as a White Sox uh, player, 120 OPS plus. Great, great time when he played with the White Sox, won a World Series in 2005. Alex, I think there was honestly two or three games where he hit his first at-bats of every game against the Angels in that American League Championship Series were home runs in the first or second inning. Painful. And it was just kind of like I was a little kid and I really couldn't just like I just didn't comprehend baseball too much that well but it was just like you thought he was like Babe Ruth or something yeah it's <laughs> like this guy is literally just every single game in the first at bat he is just hitting out of the ballpark what are we doing wrong uh he was a guy that definitely hurt us in 2005 and of course went on to hurt the Astros in the World Series but he is my first baseman second baseman too Eddie Collins Eddie Collins had two great careers with the A's and also the White Sox 13 years with the A's 12 years with the White Sox so a very split of course career and honestly numbers are not that different some of them are very different but majority of them are very close together uh Eddie Collins is an easy pick for the uh second base job so let's move now to the left side third base and shortstops I'll let you go first who do you have for that so for third base Travis I actually have Robin Ventura uh, he's someone who I kind of didn't think would be, you know, ha have any business being on the, you know, all-time team for a team that's been around for 120 years. But looking at some of his numbers when he was at his best, um, very impressive overall. Um, so he definitely was a surprise for me. He's my uh, third baseman. And for shortstop, Travis, I went with Luke Appling. He is kind of uh, an all-time White Sox guy just by nature, just looking at the, the numbers he put up in his career. 20 seasons all with the same team all with chicago white Sox. a 113 ops plus on the career is very good for a uh shortstop he received mvp votes in 1933 as a 26 year old and then he he got a uh, mvp votes as a 42 year old in 1949 so he covered a really long stretch of time did miss a season probably two seasons to the military service world war ii because he only played 18 games in in 45 so 44-45 didn't really play and was still able to rack up lots of really good numbers. Um, yeah, for me, it was easy pick for those two, I think. Definitely. And again, retreat. Same, same, same exact. <laughs> same exact. Robin Ventura going to be the third baseman. Again, I, I, like you said, a big surprise. Just did not know what I was going to find with the shorts or for the third baseman for the White Sox. Uh, and he rounds out perfectly, you know, kind of just a sneaky, about a 50, you know 56 career war, which is just very... Uh, you know, you really wouldn't consider this guy a Hall of Famer, but 56 war. His that, numbers is impressive. Yeah. It's, it's impressive. You got to look at that as being like a guy who's above 50 war. You really have to give him some good consideration. A lot of gold gloves, of course, also with the White Sox. So he, of course, is third base and then shortstop Luke Appling. 
uh, like you said, again, military service hurting him. You know, you would definitely think he was about 250 hits away from 3,000. You think if he would have played one, you know, one and three quarters of a season, uh, he would have had 250 hits easily to max to meet that 3,000 hits right. uh, mark. So uh, he's definitely one, you know, 310 batting average, a 399 on base. And honestly, it's funny to see an on base higher than his slugging. Uh, a 398 slugging so almost just almost a nine or an 800 ops uh but still gave him a 113 ops plus and the, and the war speaks for itself in my mind no de- o- you over know, 70 war hall of famer exactly exactly definitely hall of fame status when it looks at the war an all-timer for the white Sox, being on the team for 20 years so that kind of rounds out of course our infield alex let's move to the outfield and i'll let you start off again with the three outfielders who you got Okay, so for my White Sox outfield, Travis, uh, making the second peer- appearance of the episode, uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson has Very to good. be in my outfield. Um, I'll just go through my three, and then Definitely. you guys your three, and we'll discuss. So Shoeless Joe is my first spot. Uh, Minnie Minoso is going to make my team. Recent Hall of Fame inductee off the Veterans Committee. Um, influential player for a variety of reasons, but the numbers uh, speak for themselves. And my right fielder, Travis, is going to be Maglio Ordonez. So go ahead and give me your three and we'll talk. I actually love that list. And I don't know why we keep thinking alike on really? this one. So Same three. Maglio Ordonez, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and of course the Mini new Man- Hall of Famer, right. Mini Minuso. Uh, you know, Alex, one guy that I was definitely looking at when I was comparing Maglio was uh, Harold Baines. He's a Hall of Famer. Right. He's a White Sox Hall of Famer. But his numbers aren't as good as Maglio's. I you agree. look at Maglio's prime, when you look at those first couple years, very very scary when i when i see those 307 batting an 889 ops with a 127 ops plus 100 187 home runs in eight years i mean you're, you're almost looking at 200 home runs in eight years very very good for the right fielder uh for the for the um for the white Sox. but i, I of course another guy who you you see him and you think of one moment and that is the walk-off home run to send the tigers to the world series in 2006 a big postseason hitter right there uh and then of course shoeless joe alex he had of course i believe a better six years with cleveland but he had a very good six years with the white Sox, 100%. and of course the scandal but great great six years with the white Sox. And then also with Minnie Minuso just becoming a White Sox Hall of Famer um, as of last week. He, of course, spent uh, just about, you know, just 12 seasons with the White Sox. 304 batting average, you know, an 865 OPS, a 133 OPS plus. Um, just a very good all-around player for them. Played, I know I know he played a little bit outfield, played some third base. So he definitely had some really good versatility around there. Right. Uh, anything else to offer with these three guys? Yeah, I mean, I agree on all the Ordonia's point. Uh, underrated, you know, not a traditional thought of a Hall of Famer, but he beats out a Hall of Famer for our list for this position, which is kind of funny looking at the numbers. But uh, Shoeless Joe Travis uh, completely deserves the spot. Uh like you said, I agree the Indians' numbers are probably a little bit better, but the White Sox numbers are still like Hall of Fame kind of numbers, even though it's just a little six-year stretch. The scandal probably ended his career short, uh, probably got driven into retirement. Uh, the Black Sox scandal, for those that don't know, uh, some of the teammates were gambling on the World Series for their own team to lose. Um, I remember I've, I've read about it before, and I guess at the, be- the beginning of the series, he said, like, I'm not going to participate in the cheating, and he had a really good like first four games or something like that. 
and then he had like a really awful next two games and people think he like was involved like i'll never know i think he's admitted i think he said before he's confessed that like he he was trying to lose or whatever but you know it's hard to say that that's true when the first four games are so good yeah but it's yeah. just kind of funny like you know having someone confess like that i, I you know is he guilty? Maybe, maybe not. Either way, the numbers are too good. Uh, he should be in the Hall of Fame in my mind. Uh, anyways, I think he is completely deserving to be in this spot. And then Minoso Travis is someone who is had a pretty underrated career. Uh, led baseball, led uh, the American League in stealing twice as a Chicago White Sox. Led in triples twice. Led in doubles once. Led in hits once. So just kind of these different years, able to do different things really well. Um a really solid batting average, uh, good on base, you know, kind of checks all the boxes in my mind. Um, versatile player uh, has to be in the list. He, he can fit really anywhere in, in the outfield or even in the infield, like you mentioned. So um, I like that we, we keep agreeing. I think White Sox has been a pretty like logical pick at every stop so far. Definitely, definitely. And I think we'll have the same DH pick as well. Um, I Alex, don't know. <laughs> Alex, I'm just going to say it. Frank Thomas. Yeah, um, Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas and easy easy dh pick for the white Sox, 995 ops in his 16 years with the white Sox. that's a 161 ops plus that's just above elite uh and of course above a 300 uh batting average as well almost 500 home runs with the white Sox. had 448 home runs but um just again i mean i mean just a insane creature at the plate yeah uh nobody in, in baseball history i mean there, there's only a small number of guys that really can compare to this guy again i always look back in the 94 season it was cut short 113 games and he of course finished with the mvp had a 487 on base and a 729 slugging that is a 1.217 ops i really wish how that season would have finished with the rest of the with the, yeah. the you know the last 50 or something games um what the doubles what the home runs what the runs what the rbis all would have looked like uh it looks pretty stupid honestly even looking at the walks 109 walks in 113 games you're almost averaging you're almost going to get 162 walks uh in 162 games a walk a game which again i mean just insane in my in my opinion so yeah travis i mean to have this kind of season i better start taking some new genics too honestly <laughs> exactly exactly what what he's doing right now yeah exactly so but but travis i mean i think so something we've talked about before on the podcast like it, one thing that's really hard to do is to repeat mvp i think shohei otani has really put himself into this corner because if he has a worse year next year, even slightly, they won't give you the MVP. Exactly. If you take a step back, they just won't give it to you. Like they will vote for someone else who's like the newer thing. Yeah. Um, you really have to go up a level. And Otani had such a good 2021 that to have a better ERA and more home runs is gonna be really hard to do. But Travis, Frank Thomas went back to back MVPs in I think it's ninety-three and ninety-four because he won the MVP with a great one seventy seven OPS plus. And then he went up this whole level where his his batting average went up to 353 and his on base went up by like 50 points. His slugging went up by over 100 points. His OPS plus got almost up by 200 points. He went, he became, he was an MVP in 93 and went, then became better at like every single stat in a shorter season, albeit, but still uh, the back to back MVPs is um, a really tough feat. Uh, and, and he just completely. I feel like he broke baseball in '94. It's like I'm looking at like a Babe Ruth's, uh, you know, stat line, honestly. No, and that's a great point you put out there. '94, like I said again, I just wish he would have finished. A, we, we, there was no strike, no lockout. 
we could have seen what he would have done and finished with those numbers because they were pretty ridiculous. Probably, of course, maybe not have finished with a 1.2 OPS, but would have had a 1.1 something possibly. And I'm sure. And then and then you're looking at, of course, the home runs. You're looking at the walks, the runs, the RBIs, all just being kind of a monstrous number. So uh, he was one guy I actually was going to point out in the, you know, when we had the top five best seasons of all time 94 frank thomas in my opinion is a season that definitely stands out better than of course so many other people so mm-hmm. uh glad we of course got to just talk about him a little bit but alex we'll now move to the white Sox starting pitching and i'll give you my five and then of course you get on the list and give me your five but i'll start off with of course the great ed walsh <laughs> who yeah. of course i know you've talked about a bunch of times on our uh, Twitter DMs and of course on our text messages I think he of course yes he does hold the all-time uh, ERA record a 1.82 career ERA insanity insanity a 1.81 ERA with the White Sox through 13 years of course pitched with them from 1904 to 1916 uh, and of course if you're a big you know also a big analytics guy in advanced stats all-time FIP leader 2.02 as well right so uh just i mean just again i just just a stud on the mound a 146 era plus and then i mean you just look at these seasons i just don't know how a guy can pitch 464 innings in a season i mean i, I mean I, I, you look at some of these guys back 42 in, complete games like yeah, what? i mean ni- 1909 and you got 11 shutouts and you also have six saves yeah you led baseball in wins and in winning percentage in games and games started games <laughs> complete games shutouts and saves how do you do all that kind of starting pitcher stats and you also led in saves how's that even possible i i, I just I, I don't understand that kind of stuff so ed walsh has to be of course on my top uh on the top of my list but uh going after him i have ted lyons uh hall of famer had an era title but of course he pitched 21 seasons with the White Sox missed of course three seasons with the war uh had 260 wins almost possibly really could have been a uh 300 game winner without the war a 367 ERA with a 118 ERA plus just of course an all-timer if you look at of course White Sox numbers um and with white all White Sox stats a 70.5 war uh that's Ted Lyons uh Hall of Famer Coming in third, I had Red Faber, mm-hmm. uh, Hall of Famer again. Another guy who pitched, of course, with Walsh, uh, 20 years with the White Sox. So, of course, right now I'm looking at guys that have just been so durable with the White Sox organization. A 3.15 ERA, uh, that's only a 119 ERA plus just because they had guys like Ed Walsh pitching, you know, great, great ERA baseball. But uh, he, of course, has 254 wins. Uh, one of the tops in the White Sox history. And then the last two, these are guys, of course, we saw, Alex. I have Chris Sale and I have Mark Burley. Chris Sale, of course, not having the longevity as a lot of these guys had, but it's still mind-blowing to me that he has not won a Cy Young and the dominance that he had with those White Sox teams in the early 2010s, just insanity. I I mean, he made hitters just look like they were playing wiffle ball with a guy who had, you know, one of those gyro pitch wiffle balls that literally goes, you know, left and then cuts right really quickly. His slider pick mixed in with his changeup and his fastball, 
just, I mean, one of the deadliest in baseball and, and lefty pitchers. I mean, you're looking at his stats right now and all those back-to-back-to-back-to-back Cy Young, you know, top five finishes. It's just insane. So I had to go him. And then, of course, Mark Burley, uh, a great, of course, postseason guy, got them to the World Series and got them a World Series victory in 2005. And I remember he, of course, was a guy that broke their curse uh, a year after the Red Sox broke their curse. Uh, so just kind of, again, another guy who pitched a lot of years with the White Sox. And honestly, it's funny. He's getting a lot of Hall of Fame traction with a lot of the analysts. A lot of a lot of guys really thought he should be a Hall of Famer. And maybe I don't really agree with that. We'll talk later on with our episodes. Yeah. But uh, a lot of guys are giving him that kind of stature. But thoughts on the list? What is your five? Give me what you got and we'll discuss. Yeah, sounds good. So we agree with a few of the picks, some a little bit different. So Ed Walsh has to be on there. All-time ERA leader. Speaks for itself. The, they're just complete dominance in his prime. Uh, Chris Sale, also on my team, Travis. Chris Sale, like you said, somehow has no Cy Young Award. But uh, his prime with the White Sox was consistently being one of the best pitchers in baseball. Year after year after year after year. So he is on my team as well. Uh, Red Faber, who you mentioned, is also on my team. Uh, in my fourth spot, I have Eddie Seacott who is someone who I didn't really know about until doing my research for the episode. But um, overall, I was very impressed by some of his numbers, a 133 ERA plus as a White Sox in nine seasons, uh, led baseball in, uh, or sorry, led the league in wins twice, uh, led an ERA once, and that's a 1.53 in 1917. Um, just a lot to like. In that season, he led he led the American League in ERA and also innings pitched and batters faced. So high workload, still great efficiency and got runners or got batters out um, as good as anyone. So he makes my team and I rounded out with Wilbur Wood in my fifth spot. Very good. Okay. So um, overall, a lot of similar names, but um, I think I think with these teams with 120 year histories, it makes sense that our five <laughs> is not going to be identical. There's exactly. a lot to choose from. Exactly. And it's funny how we go back to so many guys who were pitched from 1901 to 1930. And then you go all the way up to like 2010. Chris, Chris, who's still like, up, he's still exactly. like, he's, he's like 30 or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. And also with Mark Burley too. So I, I definitely look at that and we're not going to have every single guy be the same guy. Just like kind of like looking at our, our offense. It's all the same pitching. Of course, will be a very different, uh, you know, Different list to, of course, compare. But um, that rounds out the pitching. Alex, let's go to the ninth inning. Who do you got for your ninth inning closer for the White Sox all time? So, yeah. Besides uh, Ed Walsh. <laughs> right. I think he'll go, he'll go the whole game. But, yeah. <laughs> but if I need the ninth inning guy, Travis, I'm going to go ahead and go with Hoyt Wilhelm. Uh, I think for this, this was, I think, the hardest closing pitcher for me to nail down because there's a couple other guys who I really liked. Um, and at the end of the day, I think... Hoyt Wilhelm just has a bit more of a legendary stature that I think I ended up rocking with. Uh, why don't you tell me who you have and then we'll discuss. Yeah, so for me, I went with Bobby Thigpen. Yeah, he was um, on my list. Main sure. reason why is because he had the all-time single-season saves record that K-Rod ended up breaking in 2008. Um, of course, uh, just a good closer for them in the 90s. I think that that season, single season was, of course, the main reason why I chose him. Uh, a good ERA. Uh, but yeah, I think the single season was the main factor in in choosing him so that's why i went with him yeah yeah 100 it makes a lot of sense uh the reason why i ended up going with hoyt wilhelm he was a white sock in this in he first of all he was a journeyman he played on looks like eight different teams or nine different teams but six years as a white sock and it was actually he's 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 weird because he started his career in 
as a 29 year old uh, for the New York Giants, and he had the e he. It looks like yeah he uh, had the ERA title for a closer. Uh, I got fourth in the MVP voting, and that's at age 29, his rookie year, and then he ends up pitching all the way till he's 49. Really odd, wow. t- odd time frame. Age 29 to age 49 for a baseball career, not something you see, especially for a pitcher. But anyways, his 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 years with the White Sox were age 40 to age 45, which is a really funny way. But somehow that's kind of his prime because his ERA those years was a, a 2.64, and then it was five straight years below two as a closer, which is obviously super impressive. Um, you know, not too not not crazy high in the saves year in and year out. Um, so might not have been always a ninth inning guy, but no matter where he was, he was not letting runners score. And he pitched a lot of games. So um, he was my pick, but thick pin makes a lot of sense. I think also Folk was someone who I looked at and gave good consideration to. Um, Keith Folk was, uh, he was a White Sox reliever from, it looks like starting in 98 or 97. He got traded there up until uh, 2002. But some of his uh, best ERA plus seasons are really good, Travis. He got a 222. ERA plus in uh, 1989, but anyways, uh, lots of good options for the White Sox bullpen. They have a good they have a good bullpen right now, and two really good pitchers in Kimbrel and Hendrick. So this this list could change in a decade. Who knows? I will say that too, and also a, a shout out to even a guy like Bobby Jenks. Um, he was a guy that had really look, good numbers. I had too. to look him up too. Yeah, I, I think he honestly he came close to it, or he might have had it, but it was like three seasons of forty or more saves every season. Which you know, saves again are not going to be a stat. You're just going to be based it all around. I mean, I like how you got how how Hoyt, of course, had the ERA and all the just the the elite numbers, and Thigpen, of course had this the most saves um in a single season up until 2008 but uh yeah bobby jenks had a very very good like three or four years with the white Sox, um and you know of course uh, that's pretty much the main part of his career with the white Sox. i think he went on to play with the red Sox, but uh definitely a shout out to him because he had uh a lot of seasons that were elite and you know really made it hard for me to pick which guy to go with um again alex i'm I'm really kind of leaning with the way that we've chosen this so far like you know joe nathan has been one of the guys that's just been kind of the easiest to go with just a because lot, yeah it's just like you know what this guy was so elite um and plus me and you of course watched him so i feel like that was a little bit of favoritism but of course it was also because of how good he was but alex rounding out to the last team that we are going to cover this is going to be the all-time kansas city royals team and now we finally get to take a little bit of a break it's only been a 53-year history. They've only been a team since 1969 to 2021. A little so, refreshing. Exactly. So at least, uh, you know, cutting it almost in half. So we'll have a little bit more of a, of a better list to kind of go off of. But Alex, I'll start with the catching position. For me, it was pretty easy. Salvador Perez, uh, what he's done in the past, you know, five seasons for them has been truly remarkable. He honestly, I think, beats every catcher on the Royals uh, all-time list when you look at all the different hitting stats he honestly in a couple of years might be the all-time uh, royal uh, home run leader so uh-huh. uh he's my catcher who do you got for catching yeah travis is salvador perez i'm um, looking at the options there's no one's that close uh there's tons of discourse about how good he is right now some people say he's the best catcher some people say he's not even top 10 it's really he's one of like the most uh, hard to rank kind of players right now but looking at the history of the team there's just no comparison he will you know I assume he probably will have that record for home runs. I assume he stays with the team. He seems like the kind of guy who's going to be the franchise player and stick around in Kansas City. So assuming that's the case, uh, this spot's his for sure. Definitely. So, all right, now going to the 
right side of the infield, second and first base, Alex. I will start with this one. Um, you know, I I think I had to go back to just uh, looking at some of those 80s uh, Royals players that were part of that, uh, you know, championship team that won it. I think it was in 84. I think it was actually 85. But um, just kind of diving back into the history. So first base, I had John Mayberry. Uh, he only spent six years with the Royals, but those six years, Alex, very, very impressive. Uh, average, not 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 great, uh, 261 average. I'm not going to definitely downplay him on that, but a 374 on base with an 822 OPS. Had a 132 OPS plus in those six years mm-hmm. with the Royals. Possibly, you know, definitely the best six years of his playing career with the Royals. Also 143 home runs those years. I mean, you look at the years uh, with, with that, 25, 26, 22, 34. Just at least a very good six-year prime with the Royals. Also with walks, 122 and 119, two of the years where he led the American League in walks and also an OPS plus one of those years. So uh, finished second in 1975 with the Royals uh, for MVP. And then for second base, I have Frank White. Frank White is a... uh, one of his numbers actually retired by the Kansas City Royals. I believe he spent his whole career 18 years, yes, with the Royals. Uh, 85 OPS plus, not a great, uh, not at all a great hitter for the Royals. I think his main strengths, of course, were uh, defense and also it was, you know, I, th- I think defense was just definitely the big thing for him. Thirty About a 35 war at second base, um, but of course he is an all-timer, re- Number is retired by the Kansas City Royals, so had to go with him. Who do you got, of course, for your first and second base? Yeah, so first and second base, actually two different guys. Really? So okay. it's interesting that, you know, I think it's the first time that first and second base, we had both different. But uh, So, Travis, my first baseman is going to be Mike Sweeney, and he is someone who I, I didn't nice. think would be on my team as I was building it. But I like a lot of his numbers. He's got some consistently pretty good years right there in the early 2000s has a 129 OPS plus in 99. And then for like four or five straight years, he was better than that. So a good, well above average hitter for a consistent stretch of time as a Royal. Um, He also spent some time like DHing and other stuff, but as a Royal, lots of starts at first base. So even Travis, honestly, like a couple of his first seasons, he uh, played catcher. I almost thought about being tricky, but like I was like, okay, I'll just give it a solid. Yeah. Or I, I'll just give it a solid. I won't be that. I won't, I won't be that out of pocket. But you you want to be that guy? I know. Yeah, yeah. A little bit, but that's okay. And then second base, Travis, also a different pick from you. Um, Whit Merrifield is who I went Very with. Good. So he's okay. the, he's the active second baseman for those that don't know. Uh, currently plays in the Royals. He's only uh, I'm looking like he's only 32, so he's still you know many years left to kind of add to this resume as a Royal. But he's played six seasons there, 105 OPS plus on the career. Um, He's led baseball, or at least the American League in stolen bases, three times. Uh, Led baseball in hits twice, 192 hits in 2018. That led uh, both leagues. 206 hits in uh, 2019. So back-to-back season leading hits, you know, kind of some counting stat stuff going on there. He bats lead off a lot and, you know, accrues lots of at-bats. But it shows his durability, Travis. He played 162 games in 2019, then all 60 in the short season, and then all 162 this last year. That's really impressive. That shows me some, you know, he's there every day playing second base. Um, also, plays the outfield some, so he has some versatility to his to his uh, credit, but a primary second baseman, and he ends up taking my spot. Very good. Okay. Uh, 
moving to the of course the left side of the infield alex third base really shouldn't even be a discussion it's george it, brett it, it shouldn't be a discussion but just so people like understand like he's just so miles ahead of, of every other royal <laughs> i feel like if you look at the royals page like it's just like george brett and this massive gap i feel like in my mind at least he is mr royal uh 21 years only with the royals won an mvp some of the years with the hitting, uh, you know, the MVP season, he batted 390, almost a 400 batting average that season. Really, really insane. And this is 1980. Yeah. Like that, this is, <laughs> that, that, that's a batting average you see in like the 20s. Exactly. Exactly. And a 203 OPS plus that year. Um, just kind of a freak show year for George Brett. But shortstop was one of the really interesting ones, Alex. And it, it, to me, it's kind of one of the saddest, I think the saddest picks of the all franchise teams that we've done so far for me i had alcides escobar um and it's just kind of a it's kind of a bad one to do because you know he will not be a hall of famer he made one all-star game and he, he has really, one gold he, glove he really didn't deserve the all-star looking at the season he had and so he of course played eight years but just looking back in the history alex i mean i just i just could not find anyone else for the shortstop position and of course he was there during the 2015 world series championship so i kind of gave that as more more of like a sure. favoritism but i think he was like the csmvp or something like that it was some of that i just remember i think it was the game one he led off with the inside the park home run and it was like okay this guy's like who, who, who is this guy like you know uh but i had to give it to him for the shortstop position eager to see if you got anyone different yeah so charis i actually included someone and you know a little bit maybe it might be a little bit of a cheap shot travis i'll let you be the judge but your second baseman is my shortstop okay he, he, he did his rookie year was a primary shortstop and then he played secondary shortstop uh, his second most position for like three more years and then eventually became a or it was like it was like five years playing shortstop uh in some capacity and then becomes a full-time second baseman okay okay um, his best years looked like they probably were at second base but um travis I ran into the same obstacle as you where there was not many good choices for shortstop. So I just made it happen some way. I said, Whit Merrifield, you're getting the call and we're pushing second base over to shortstop. So that's how I rocked it. Um, George Brett's the third baseman. There's no question. Obviously um, the numbers are just too unreal. You know, a top at the bare minimum, a top five third baseman of all time could be higher on that list for sure. Definitely. And it, it it's kind of like the Travis Fryman pick for me. I, I want to go with guys that have played their majority of anything of all, all of their career. And it just kind of is, it's painful to put their name down, but I feel like I got to say, you know what, screw it. I just got to do it because they've played the like, you know, 90% of their career at that position. But I definitely like your pick Frank white at short Whit Merrifield at second. I think Whit Merrifield is definitely a pick over Alcides Escobar, um, any single day. So, sure. uh, definitely a good infield to create right there but uh we'll move now to the outfield alex and give me your three of course and then i'll give you my three uh and we'll discuss about that so my three outfielders i'll just rattle them off um amos otis is my first one great career war for the team willie wilson also in my outfield and then my third spot's gonna go to carlos beltron actually not that many years as a royal but overall i like the years so uh go ahead and give me your three yeah, Carlos Beltran was a guy that really was uh, – he, 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 I looked at him a lot. I, I really looked – I liked his numbers, um, but I actually went a different route. So uh, almost, Ot almost Otis? I think it's Amos, but it Amos, could be Amos. I, I think of the cookies, honestly, when, <laughs> when I see that. So Amos, 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 baby. Amos Otis, uh, definitely on the list. 
Willie, it was a Willie Wilson. You said, yeah. Willie Wilson was a guy that I had my list. I think honestly until the eleventh hour, and I changed it. And so I what went, you, I went with Hal McRae. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hal McRae, uh, you know, I think he played yeah fifteen years with the Royals, uh, a one twenty five OPS plus, almost a three hundred batting average with them. Uh, just of course, again, a, a, just a really nice all around player for the Royals. Uh, played with them from 73 to 87. So, of course, was part of the World Series team. Had a fourth-place MVP finish with a Silver Slugger in 82. Uh, and that season he had, uh, you know, actually this guy was actually just a doubles machine, almost 500 doubles as a Royal. So Hal McRae was my guy. And then lastly, I had Alex Gordon. So Alex oh, yeah, Gordon, yeah. the, you know, I think a couple of years ago retired, but was, of course, a Royal his whole entire clear career. Only reason I really run with him is just because of the defense. Um, he's kind of like an Al Kaline, eight gold gloves in his career, just kind of like uh, the way Torrey Hunter and Kaline went around their careers, just tons and tons of gold gloves, two platinum gloves as well, uh, a couple all-star appearances as well as a uh, World Series championship in 2015. Um, and I, I, I don't remember even to big moment in 2015, uh, they were down by one run, bottom of the ninth against Familia with the Mets, hit a game-tying home run to come back. Just kind of a little instance I always remember from Alex Gordon having a really clutch A-B. But I just feel like he's one of those guys that's almost like the Al K-line of the Royals. Uh, very, very good defense. Um, hitting was, of course, very good to league average. Uh, only a 102 OPS plus um, compared to, of course, maybe a smaller prime like Beltrans. But... I thought Alex Gordon, of course, being just there for such a long time, um, being kind of that Mr. Royal of the 21st century, had to include, include him on my list. So that's why he's in my uh, my my starting outfield. But uh, anything yeah. you have to say with the outfield? No, everyone you've mentioned is people who I've had on my kind of running list, and I had to kind of whittle things down to pick three outfielders. But, yeah, I had Gordon on my list for a while too. And uh, we'll move on to DH, Travis. Uh, John Mayberry was your first baseman, I believe. He's my DH. It's funny because Mike Sweeney's my DH, and he really? was your first baseman. So swap switcheroo. Right <laughs> and then Travis, I actually wrote down as well a little asterisk, and I put Hal McRae because for me, John Mary, John Mayberry, and Hal McRae were my two thoughts for DH, and they both were really comparable and hard to make the call. But I went with Mayberry um, for just small reasons. I literally stared at these guys pages on baseball reference for like five minutes i was like <laughs> yeah. okay like i'm picking at straws here they both are you know very good hitters and i don't know their careers well enough to really make a great call so um overall i went with john mayberry who i seems like i seem like our teams are exactly the same except for the just different positions and exactly then, of course the shortstop dilemma which we will have to talk about <laughs> <laughs> definitely i know it's it's tough when you got that position that's just kind of a it's a dark spot in the in the overall team's roster, and you're just kind of like, there's just no one in the 53 years that could have just put together a, maybe a better, you know, yeah. five-year prime or something like that. But, uh, yeah, so that, of course, is my uh, all-time for that, that list right there. But um, moving over to the starting pitching, and I'll start. I'll just go through my five. I've rattled off. Uh, Brett Saberhagen, of course, rounding out number one. Number two, Kevin Apier. Number three, Zach Granke. Number four, Gooby. Mark Gubiza, our guy, uh, Angels broadcaster. And then number five, Charlie Liebrand. And okay. so those are my five guys for the Royals. Interested to see who you got. So one through four, Travis, we were right on track. I also have Saberhagen, Apier, Gubiza, and Granke. Um, I think there's good arguments for all four of those guys. My fifth guy is actually going to be Dennis. Leonard. So Dennis Leonard Travis is someone 
who I actually did not know about until uh, I'm doing this research. But overall, uh, the big appeal was his handlebar mustache. No, that's actually not what it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, overall, he played his whole career with the with the Royals, 12 years. And, you know, overall, I like his ERA plus numbers. Uh, he was above average for a, you know his entire prime. And he actually got uh, back-to-back years of really high Cy Young consideration, fourth place in Cy Young in 1977 when he led baseball or led the American League in wins. And then Cy Young seventh place the year after when he uh, looks like he led baseball in like batter's face was kind of a workhorse. Um, both those seasons, he almost had 300 innings pitched. And this is the seventies we're talking about. So super impressive. Um, the ERA does not look kind of, doesn't, doesn't look that crazy. Only a 107 ERA plus on the career, but um I think the numbers are good enough to warrant us sliding in the fifth place spot. I think we both agree. The top four feel like kind of like locks, and that fifth spot can kind of be argued different ways. Yeah, a 108 ERA plus for Charlie. And then, of course, the six years with the Royals, he had a 116 ERA plus. So just kind of a step above being like a league average pitcher, sure. a 360 ERA for the Royals in the sixth season. So, yeah, like you said, four guys, very good locks. The fifth guy is just kind of a wild card. But, um, Alex, moving down to the ninth inning spot, uh, did some digging with this one and actually found a gem. I, I found a guy that honestly was had a very nice uh, prime with the Royals, and that is Dan Quisenberry. That's right, yeah. Uh, ERA, very, very impressive. I'm guessing you got the same guy. I do, yeah. Th- th- there were some other guys that caught my eye, but his prime, Travis, was on another level in terms of games finished and saves, just leading the league kind of year in and year out. In a, like a six-year stretch, had fifth in Cy Young and then took a year off. And then third in Cy Young, second in Cy Young, second in Cy Young, third in Cy Young. So he was up there just getting award consideration like crazy because of how good his ERA was in the 80s. Um, go ahead and tell me what you like about him. Yeah, first off, you know, uh, University of Laverne uh, baseball oh, wow. player. So, <laughs> so Cal, so Cal, baby. <laughs> it's, just, it's funny to see how these guys, you know, what, what schools they went to, yeah. Orange, Orange Coast but, College, and then, of but course. Born in Santa Monica. Yeah, Orange Coast College, and then Laverne. So a uh, yeah, D3 guy who just went out to be uh, a great major league pitcher. But I think, of course, like you said, uh, like, like I said, the ERA, the 255 ERA with the 160 ERA plus through his 10 years with the Royals was there, of course, through the best years. And then what just blew me out of the water was that from 1982 to literally 1985, he finished top three in Cy Young every single year. And he was a closer, which I just was kind of considering, you know, was just not good starting pitching those years. Um, but then you got to consider some of the great starters, maybe in even maybe in the, in the, um, in the national league, like doc Gooden. Uh, it's just crazy that a guy like this is getting top three Cy Young votes, uh, it definitely would have made me think this guy should be a Hall of Famer because if he has four years of being a closer and getting Cy Young, top three Cy Young votes, he must have one hell of a prime. And so right. uh, I think it was just an easy pick for that. And then, of course, the ERA and ERA Plus, all that stuff, very good stuff for what he was able to do. Yeah, Charles, I do think that there are guys like this who – I'm not going to go out and say he's a he should be a Hall of Famer because I haven't done that much digging. Yeah. But I think – there's just too much of a focus on like how much stats a guy added up in his career. Honestly, when you were this good for a short stretch, I feel like you should maybe deserve a nod. At least I feel like get some more respect on the ballot. Um, but yeah, he's definitely, he has an argument probably for like one of the best closers for uh, a prime for like a non-Hall of Fame team. He, definitely. Has, he has to be somewhere on that list. There was one other guy, Travis, I actually looked at 
And even though Quisenberry's numbers are this good, I actually had to double check with someone else. Jeff Montgomery had this really crazy prime. Oh, I feel like he must have taken the role right after Quisenberry because late 80s and then into the 90s. His ERA plus numbers are very, very good. Uh, in one season, he actually had a 285. He had a 1.37 wow. ERA. Uh, super impressive. And then the ERA stayed in, there in the two range for like five or six straight years. Um, really impressive stuff. But Quisenberry did get the nod because of how many times he led and saves and all that kind of stuff. But Montgomery Travis actually spent uh, 12 years with the Royals, and he actually is in the 300 save club, which Quisenberry is not. Which Very interesting, that's not yeah. the That's not the end-all be-all, but it is a milestone that's kind of interesting to look at for this you're, kind of stuff. You're so right with that. Yeah, 300, 300 saves is definitely a milestone that, um, yeah, not a lot of closers, especially these days, can really accomplish. So uh, that is, of course, our all-time Royals team. Um, Alex, me and you, of course, will just quickly round about our all al central team rounding all five teams into kind of one mega death team as yep. we did for the al west um for me alex starting catcher uh i will start joe mauer for me he is the all al central team just what he was able to do being a batting champion being an mvp the way he was able to hit as a catcher it's just it, it's you honestly look at a guy that probably should be playing in like the 1920s you know mickey mickey Cochran rings a bell a guy that has uh -huh. great contact um, and so Joe Maurer is my is my catcher for the all central or all central team. Yep. Yeah. So the AL central team for me, um, I also went with Maurer. For me, it was between Maurer and Fisk, and I had to make a decision: Do I want the guy who played his best years in another team, which yep. was Fisk? Yep. Or do I want the Maurer who switched, he switched to first base at some point? So do I want the guy who played all catcher but different teams, or the guy who played the whole career in the central? I went the whole career in the central. Uh, Maurer was the pick for me. Uh, the MVP helps a lot for sure. And there's the career average and like the peak year of averages and on base. Uh, one of the best hitters in baseball to be a catcher uh, had to be acknowledged. So yeah, he's my pick. Definitely, definitely. And so we'll move now to the first and second base uh, spot. And Alex, I had Hank Greenberg, Detroit, and Nap Lajoli. I, I believe La, it's... La Joie. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Some but yeah so those two guys of course hank greenberg one of, one of the greatest first basemen of all time uh with the power and everything he was able to do and then of course knapp one of the greatest you know contact hitters of all time too so uh those two guys i think were just definite favorites eddie collins another guy but i think he he was i think on our all als team would have been mm -hmm. crazy if he was in the all als and all al central but um he of course i think had a definite definite better uh, playing time with the A's than he did with the White Sox. Right. And Agreed. with the way Nat played at the, with the Indians, it was just kind of like, it, it was a different level. So those two guys are my, are my, you know, right side of the infield. Who do you got? Yeah. Greenberg was the easy pick for me at first base. Uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, too good, too good of a, of a player in a circle hall of famer. Second base, Travis, I was debating for a long time comparing stats between Carew and, Collins as a White Sox, and I was mm. going back and forth, and I was like, "Wait, I forgot about Nap." And I just, <laughs> and I just put Nap. It, yeah. it has to be Nap. He's the older school guy that probably a lot of people. Not Whit, well, not not Whit Merrifield. Unfortunately, Merrifield does not make the cut uh, for this team, <laughs> but Nap, uh, one of the low key greats, low key goats, a top five second baseman ever for sure, and his prime was with this team. At one point, the team was named after him. The the Indians were the, the Naps at one point, um, but yeah. Uh, I think for me, the choice was really easy when I made that realization. Uh, they have to be the first and second basemen. No, without a doubt. Knapp was definitely a guy that, you know, has to be the one on the list for, of course, all-time second baseman. But uh, we'll move to the left side, shortstop and third base. 
Um, so third base, Alex, I actually went with George Brett. Uh, I thought that, you know, he, of course, like you said, he's probably one of the top three best third basements of all time with what he was able to do almost a 90 war uh, career. And all of it is with the Kansas city Royals. And then for shortstop, uh, really was in debate over, I think it's Lou Boudreau mm -hmm. and then also Luke uh, Appling. Right. And decided same, to go with same, Luke same, Appling. Okay. Yeah. So so I, I, I decided to go with that. I think Luke Appling just had, of course, the better all-around career numbers. I think it was, uh, you know, slightly better average and I think OPS plus as well. And then I think he almost got to 3,000 hits, I'm not mistaken, looking back at the stats. I think I think the years he missed, you said that if he played, he would have got you're there. Right, you're yeah. right, you're right, you're right. So I decided to go with him. Also, just I think honestly playing like 21 or 22 years in the American League Central, um, I thought that was definitely a good way to go about it. 20 years uh, in the American League Central, all at the White Sox. Uh, really liked, of course, what he brought to the table, a 310 average, you know, a, a 113 OPS+. plus. I went with him. Who do you got for your left side? So, yeah, Travis, we completely agree on Brett. Uh, has to be Brett. I will say I looked at Killebrew for a bit just because Definitely. Killebrew is an all-time, all-time great. But uh, even though Brett's probably a little bit better, also to factor in Killebrew played first base and DH2. So, like, at the end of the day, Brett is, when you think third base, you think George Brett. Exactly. Has to be him. So, exactly. shortstop, I had the same debate as you did in my head, Appling and Boudreaux. I went Boudreaux. So, it's interesting how we kind of came to the same roadblock and, came up with different answers but i just like i think it, Charles, it it's a reflection of the way we view players and it's why we why we started the podcast uh is because we had these different outlooks we wanted to discuss with people um you uh loved the appling's career milestones that he achieved i love brujo's prime i think it's just super impressive uh was top 10 in mvp in like I think it's like nine of like 10 seasons straight, just a really impressive run he had. Some of the war numbers, Travis, in Boudreaux's prime is just off the wall. He had a 10.4 war in 1948, which is like MVP lock status, and he did get the MVP that season. Back-to-back -back seasons of 8.1 war in 43 and 44. Um, other seasons with a 7.3 war, a 6.0 war. His peak was so, so good, so I went with him. Uh, I see the argument for Appling completely. I had the same debate in my head. And I think both are, are fair picks. No, definitely. And I think also it's funny that both guys had a, a 798 OPS with their respectable AL Central teams. That's funny. Uh, same exact number. But, of course, Boudreaux having a slight edge on the OPS plus. But then, of course, Appling having uh, you know a 310 batting average his entire career. Doing it for longer. Exactly, exactly. So, of course, longevity is what I like. Um, and so that is going to be in my uh, inner circle for this list. But moving to the outfield, Alex, this is a pretty stacked outfield. Um, Agreed. It, you know, I would say it's a, it was a tough one to make, but also it was very easy because you just had some guys who were just automatic definites mm -hmm. in this one. So for me, it goes Tris Speaker, it goes Ty Cobb, and it goes Shoeless Joe Jackson. All three guys just elite at the craft that they do. Who do you got for your outfield? Travis, I also have Speaker and Cobb and Chulis Joe Jackson. We have the same three. I feel like all three are kind of bundled up to sum up like the dead ball era and like these dominant players. Definitely. From like the 19 teens, essentially, like yep. the 19 uh, tens. Mm -hmm. um, completely elite. Ty Cobb is an argument for like a top five player ever, probably. And then these other guys, I feel like, are both like these tiny half step below him but in their own right are inner circle hall of famers all time all time great you can pick any five-year stretch of their career and you're gonna see like a guy who could have been an mvp any single year because of how good these guys were um 
it's 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 probably gonna be one of my favorite outfields when when we do this whole exercise. Exactly. Just seeing this one division has these three guys who are very similar, played in a similar era. The speed. Yeah, the speed, <laughs> and then yeah, th- there's so much to like about these guys. I I I had a funny thought of how would you arrange this outfield because yeah. the three very similar players and Ty Cobb was always the center fielder, but. Just a tidbit I always read about on Wikipedia and stuff is I guess that they say that Tris Beaker, when he played center field, he played it very shallow and sometimes would even almost be in the infield. And people kind of question, like, what was he doing? And I guess they said, he's like, if he hit it over my head, I'm going to catch it anyways. And he was run back there and get it. Wow. It's it just kind of funny the way he approached the game. But I, I really wish we could have had some sort of time like, machine, time machine <laughs> and go see these guys uh, in action in the outfield. But it's a legendary three trio in the outfield and we agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like you said, it's, it's really, it's fun to think about that kind of stuff in your head to see what this defense and what this outfield would look like with all three of these guys. But uh, moving on to the designated hitter, Alex, uh, for me, it was an easy pick Frank Thomas uh, from what he was able to do with the white Sox, just an all around uh, one of, one of the best all around hitters of all time. Uh, Just those numbers match the way that the way that his biceps look, made him a dh uh he's almost that albert bell stature uh it was, it was a scary lock. looking dude it was a lock at the biceps yeah no <laughs> I, I agree Charles. i also have frank thomas uh big hurt has to be the dh in this team um just one of the best has a case to probably be the best like pure right hit right-handed hitter of all time if you yep. t- take away speed and defense and everything he's in that conversation especially at his peak was so good um there's no debate. He has to be the DH on this team. Definitely, definitely. And so we'll move now to the three bench spots, Alex. And of course, there's a lot of guys that really deserve to be on these spots for the, uh, you know, the three, three bench guys. And so for me, it came down to Jim Tomey, it came down to Al Kaline, and it came down to Harmon Killebrew. Those are my three guys. I figured Tomey hitting 600 home runs. Uh, you know, I think barely missing the spot at first base. I had to give him a little bit of, uh, of you know, credit to put him onto the bench. Uh, you know, Al Kaline for what he was able to do with defense and just all around good player. He is on my bench spot for being, you know, a good, good sub anywhere in the outfield that you need. And then Harmon Killebrew, of course, too, having that much power and playing for practically almost one team in the AL Central, the Twins, that long. I had to put him on my bench. Uh, who do you got for your three bench guys? Yeah, Travis, it's actually the same three. I, I, Very good. Okay, all right. I I don't always like try to think about it like this, but in my mind, at least, like Killebrew is this big righty who just mashes, and then Tommy is this big lefty who just completely mashes, and it makes a lot of sense to have both on the team. I think, at least in my mind, I think having both, um, it it kind of rounds out the bench, at least in my mind. Um, and th- there are other guys, Travis, who I had to consider, like. You know, do I want another like you know speedy second baseman like a Carew or an Eddie Collins, or do I want another catcher like Carlton Fisk is in my mind pretty deserving of the spot. And there's some other like older old old school guys. Trust, I even honestly thought about putting Jose Ramirez for a minute just because of how good he is at everything. <laughs> yeah, and he's not really in the class of some of these guys you would think. Um, second, short, third, outfield. He can play a lot of different spots. Yeah. But yeah, when it came down to it, uh, I, I I completely agree. And then and then K line is just like my, you know, five tool defensive sub, uh, gonna be good, uh, good production no matter where he's in the field. He actually I believe had a very productive World Series. I don't remember his numbers, but was good in the World Series that the Tigers did win when he was on the team. 
uh, that only helps even more if you know we need him off the bench in a pinch. Definitely. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. There, there's there's so many good choices. I almost went Lofton over Kaline too, if because I, I I wanted one outfielder, you know, and you know Lofton he could be the pinch runner. And no, he, exactly. He would get two free steals and then we'd sacrifice him in. So he would be that Ricky Henderson guy that we had on our last team. But uh, good picks are there. It's always I think the bench spots are always just all about like you know who do you a little bit of favoritism but who do you like who do you who, where, where would you see some of these guys being best used and like you said loft would be a great spot to guy that you want him to play defense in the eighth ninth inning and of course be like a pinch hitter kind of guy or even like a or, you know a defensive sub so right. uh good job on the bench and then we go to the starting pitching uh and alex for me there's three guys of course that are just locks and it's going to be walter johnson bob feller ed walsh those are three guys that are definites the last two I have our Hal Newhauser and Burt Blylevin. And I know there's one guy you're gonna I know you're, there's one you're guy blowing my mind. There's one guy that I know you're gonna you're gonna say I'm absolutely crazy about, and that's Justin Verlander that I left off that list. I'm guessing it's gonna be that guy, correct? Jared, I also don't have Justin Verlander. You do not? I do not. Okay, 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 all right. So I have Walter Johnson, Bob Feller, and Ed Walsh. We agree those are like the well, the one, two, three in my mind. I also have Addie Joss. He only pitched nine seasons, but he has, right behind Ed Walsh, the second best ERA of a career of all time. It was a short career, yes. I think what he did in those nine years was good enough. If he put up like five more like average years, that would, would not change much in my mind because he okay. was so good in those nine years. And my fifth spot, I was debating between Justin Verlander and this guy. And I went with this guy, and it's Johan Santana. <laughs> it's, Very good, okay. It, it's crazy that I had to debate between... Verlander, who will probably be a first ballot Hall of Famer, would you think so? I mean, oh, without a doubt, without and, a doubt. And then uh, Johan Santana, who was a, I believe he was a one and done on the ballot, if I'm not mistaken. It's an absolute just shame, a crime um, that Johan was so snubbed in the Hall of Fame status. But uh, he is probably a starting pitcher on some sort of like Hall of Fame snub team. He has uh, two MVPs in a three, sorry, two Cy Youngs in a three year span. Got third place in the middle year. That middle year, Travis, the signing was won by Bartolo Colon. Travis, I am a diehard Angels fan. Bartolo Colon did, did not, not deserve did not deserve that. the signing that year. It probably should have been Santana's award. Um, he led uh, he led uh, the league in ERA. Uh, looks like three times in five years. His peak was just so so good. Um, the numbers don't even do it justice uh, of how dominant he was as a twin. I feel like he just put teams on his back and just took games over. Um, Verlander also an all-time all-time great but you know me i like the peak and uh verlander led uh his league in era plus in back-to-back years santana did it three years in a row so i'm going santana in my fifth spot um i like the pick talk to me about bly levin that- you know and it's funny because i i had hal on the list and i yeah. said you know okay how or verlander i like how had the better era the better era plus more innings pitch just kind of more of a uh, he had more years, of course, on the Tigers than Verlander did. And so I figured, favored, of course, the durability and, of course, all the numbers as well. Um, <clears throat> and so when it came down to Bly Levin, I was like, okay, Bly Levin or Verlander. For me, Verlander was going to be the guy that was going to be the last guy on the list. And then I looked at that Bly Levin pitched 11 years for Minnesota and five with Cleveland. And so I really I really factored in 16 years of AL Central in, in the pitching. Division, sure. And so I looked at that, and with that, he has just about 200 wins and ERA just about 3.25. Uh, and then, of course, you look at the innings pitched north of 3,000, strikeouts 
north of about 2,600 strikeouts. And then, of course, the ERA plus is just about 123. And I believe that's the same ERA plus that Verlander had in his years in Detroit, and it is. So it really came down to Blylevin and also uh, Verlander. And I just felt like those stats with Blylevin, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go with him. Um, it's funny that I, I look at that and I'm like, you know what, you can kind of combine because if you look at AL Central team, you know, he played for the Indians and also the D Minnesota Twins. So you can combine those stats. So I kind of uh, no, went about that way. I, I will give that some good credit because when someone plays, when someone double dips in the division, it really helps add up a lot of their stats. Just Travis, like shoeless. Right. And, and and it comes down to Travis. It's another reflection of what we value because exactly. you pick uh, Newhouser at 5'11", who had much longer careers in uh, accumulated a lot more accolades and the two guys i picked joss uh addy joss and johan santana very short careers for the average guy who, who uh and uh the prime was really good uh charles blylevin looking at his page right now was born in zeist netherlands but he went to high school in garden grove so i don't know what's going on there uh but we have a lot of garden grove action in this podcast more, more so than i thought we would have travis uh, we have to pick a closer for this team and we're wrapping this thing up because it's been well over two hours. Yep. Thank you for hanging in there, folks. Um, uh, Travis, my closer is Joe Nathan. Who's your closer? Joe Nathan. It was pretty simple. Yep. Um, the 202 ERA plus, uh, when I see that number, I just think this guy's on another level. Um, like you keep saying, he was one of the best closers for sure in the 2000s decade. A lot to like. Quisenberry had a very good prime. I thought about it. Look at you look at Nathan's numbers. He was again. my setup man. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You look at Nathan's numbers, and it has to be Nathan. So Quisenberry is also. So we do a three, a three, uh, three, three relievers, one closer, of course. So for me, it was Quisenberry being a setup man, and also I didn't name this guy, Greg Holland. So okay. Greg Holland had very good numbers. It, you know, you can look on it if you want to do the research on Greg Holland, but 2010s was a lockdown closer. I had him, Quisenberry, and then of course Joe Nathan closing it out. So two of the three are guys that, of course, we grew up watching. But my, uh, so I also had the Nate, I had Nathan in the ninth, and I had Quisenberry set up. And my other my other guy is um, Hoyt Wilhelm. So Hoyt Wilhelm, okay, uh, yeah. It's just there's lots of ways to go at the seventh and eighth inning guys, I think. But like Nathan was the closing pitcher on this team in my mind for sure. Nathan, no question about it. Um, my ninth inning guy, uh, Travis. Uh, anything else? Nothing else. Um, I guess my only question with these five teams, obviously, we ranked um, over the last two something hours that we've been talking about this. Who would you give the edge if you had to put who's the best team of the AL Central franchise? And I guess who would be like the worst team of the AL Central franchises that we just talked about? Uh, good question. I will start with who's the worst. It's the Royals. Easily. Good. <laughs> um, so process of elimination, I'll take them off. Um, I'm looking at the Twins. They have some good depth, and I do love the pitching, especially in like a in like a series. You have like these top three guys in Johnson, Santana, and Blylevin. Yep, and a good closer. I can't cross them off yet. I'm gonna keep scrolling. I would do process elimination here. Tigers. Tigers are, are good. Are too good. This is definitely one of the tougher ones. I'm gonna go ahead and cross off White Sox. Okay, me too. I, was, I think. Same can, thing. Can Canerco, Ventura, a little bit too many guys that are not like, you know, these Hall of Fame types. Exactly. And then Ordonez, Minoso, you know, Minoso is a Hall of Famer and Ordonez isn't, but it's kind of like, okay, both those guys are, you know, they're both good, but they're not, they're not, they're, they're not elite they're not kind Trish of guys. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, so I'm going to cross off the Twins. Yep. For me, it's between the Indians and the Tigers now. Same thing, same thing here. Yep. Um, 
I just keep seeing J Ram's name, Jose Ramirez. I'm like, I can't believe he's on this list. Like, no, no, exactly. And, and for me, I'll, I'll basically fill out. It's the same thing I said. The White Sox, Royals, and Twins are going to be eliminated for me. Of course, Royals going to be the worst team. But for me, I will go ahead and put. Um, I'm going to put the Indians just because okay. of the pitching staff and just because of the outfield. I, I, I just see Shoeless, I see Tris, and I see Manny, and then of course our Bell, and then of course the infield, Tommy Nap. Jose Ramirez, you know, even though he's just, you know, he he's a great third baseman, but I I look at that and I just am like I'm blown away. But these the Tigers again is also a very good outfield. I, I I'm leaning Indians right now. Uh, you've sold me, but the Tigers, yeah, it's just seeing like Greenberg. I'm I'll, I'll bang that up with Greenberg, Garinger, Cabrera, Cobb, Kaline, Crawford, Heilman, and then Verlander's on the bump. Like that's just like gonna be scary. But <laughs> but but I think Indians do make a lot of sense, especially knowing you're gonna give the ball to Feller. Uh, helps a lot uh, and the the outfield for me is just like this is this is getting ridiculous but i'm glad we had this exercise alex because i like to ask that question after you know so far the last two all-time teams just going over where we rank these teams but uh anything else i guess for today's episode that wraps it up tonight's episode yeah let's just wrap this up as quickly as we can and get these folks uh going on with their lives because (laughs) this has been a long one um thank you if you've made it this far uh we appreciate it so much I can't believe you're listening to it this month. This is the longest one by far. Um, hopefully next week when we cover the AL East. Ooh, that's going to be... It'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully we're able to do it in a more concise time span. But um, there's, yeah. probably, there's probably a couple teams we don't even need to really talk about. And we could just name them and just say that's the, just a sorry nine. And it's The it's, raise is like is like we've been alive the whole time. So yeah. it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. But but yeah, essentially, folks, that wraps it up. If you made it this far, thanks for listening. Give us a like. Let us know what you think. If you disagree... If you're really big on Pipe Will Hum, let us know or whatever. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we appreciate all your support. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>